Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Goldsmith hits it, a ton out to deep left, and it is gone! Into the bullpen of the Kansas City Royals. A two-run homer for Paul Goldschmidt. How about that? Jamie, I think the Cardinals found their middle-of-the-order bat. Think they found him. Now it's a year after they were anticipating that they were going to find him. Brad Miller? He well, also may are, be fitting in. We already knew Brad Miller was. <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt is having one hell of a season. And the expected stats are starting to show up with the real stats now, boys. If you look across baseball right now, when you compare Paul Goldschmidt's typical metrics to every other player in the league that has a qualified number of at-bats, he is third in batting average. He is first in on-base percentage. He is 27th in slugging. We'll, we'll get that up. He's starting That's to get there. That's a lot there. of players. 27th is good. Night. It's pretty good. Don't be negative. Seventh in all of baseball and OPS right now. This is the Paul Goldschmidt that the Cardinals thought that they were going to get a year ago. This is the guy that they re-signed for a reason. This is the one that they wanted to hit in the middle of their order, along with Paul DeYoung, to really solidify the heart of the order the way that they thought they were going to a year ago. Now, it didn't work out as expected last year, but this is starting to be what we all thought he was going to be. He looks, Jamie, to play your role of the body language doctor unbelievably comfortable every time he comes up to the plate. He is not swinging out of his shoes to use the typical baseball cliche. He's taking what the pitcher gives him and he is shooting it the other way if that's what it if that's what the situation calls for. He's throwing it over the fence if that's what the situation calls for. Paul Goldschmidt has been everything that the Cardinals could have wanted and then some this year. What's interesting to me is I listened to Jimmy Edmonds, well I think last weekend, not the one that just went by, the one before and he was talking about Goldie and how he changed his stance just subtly to where he's opened up just a little more and he said traditionally that's for guys who feel like they're a little behind the ball and at that point Jim Edmonds talked about well maybe the big layoff it's an easier way to get your bat around on the ball well Goldie to my knowledge as I watch it he's continued with that stance so maybe it's a little tweak that he's made maybe it's with Jeff Albert maybe together combined whatever but now things have changed, not drastically, because Goldie was still doing good, but things are really going well right now for Goldie. So I don't know if that has anything to do with that at all. But yeah, this guy is what you need right now. And listen, I'm a baseball 
amateur when it comes to evaluating this stuff, but the fact that he's hitting the ball like that right now, and you have a Brad Miller, and you have a Paul DeYoung who welcomed himself back last night, this makes it really hard for the opposition when they're coming up consecutively like that. The Cardinals suddenly have a heart of the order. Like, it exists for, what, five, six years now? We've been wondering... Man, who's going to hit cleanup for this team? Who's going to bat third for this team? And are they going to be able to get the production? We thought for a little while it was going to be Matt Carpenter. And then every time they took Matt Carpenter out of the leadoff spot, he became the worst player in all of baseball. It was a weird thing that was happening. But now with Goldie at batting third, suddenly you have that stalwart where everything pivots around him. And so you can put somebody behind him and suddenly they start hitting better. You can put somebody in front of him and suddenly they look good. Tommy Edmonds starting to look a little better when he's getting his opportunities. I expected it too. Yes. 100% expected. So we, we, we pumped him up a little bit. Yeah. When he's getting his opportunities, batting leadoff or batting second, this lineup is starting to come alive a little bit. Now let's caution a little bit. Harrison Bader's probably not going to hit this way all year long. You're not going to get quite as much out of the bottom of your order as you're getting right now. But that's okay when you have somebody like Goldschmidt in the middle of your lineup. This is why the Cardinals have been so desperately missing that piece for so long. This is a really inspiring situation to watch moving forward, not just for this year, but move beyond because Goldie's going to be the heart of your order, not just for 2020, but for the next few years as well. Yeah, he's got to be your guy, right? You've committed to this guy financially for sure. And based upon his track record, like this is why you got him is to be this exact player. And this is why you're paying him. So, yeah, look, at I'm thrilled right now with quite quite honestly, I'm thrilled overall with how the Cardinals have looked in, in many different ways. But, yeah, Goldie swinging the bat like that. And to your point earlier about, you know, whoever's batting in front of him or batting behind him. Those guys are doing well, too. You know, it depends on any given night. Now, I wonder where the Cardinals ultimately go once everybody's healthy, everybody's back. How do you take a guy like Brad Miller out? You, you don't. don't until he stops hitting. You don't take you don't. him out. So then what do you do? Do you slide him to DH at that point and Carpenter comes out? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it requires. Who's hitting better? I mean, it's, well, a, it's in no a question game right now. Yeah. I think it's going to stop from Brad Miller eventually. But don't you t- put that on Millsy. Why are you throwing at Millsy right now? Don't you put that on Millsy. Hold on. No. It might not be until the end of the year. Like a 60-game season and the fact that he started this at, what, game 15 or so, where he really started getting on a hot streak, 12, whatever it was, it might be game 60 when that stops. And until that takes place, you keep playing him every single day because right now he's hitting like one of the best players in baseball. Millsy's taking his team all the way to the World Series and then a six-year contract extension. <laughs> it's crazy, though, guys, to think about it because he's hitting the hell out of the ball every single night. <laughs> to look at his stats in the past, you nailed it before, BK, when you were so negative about Millsy that, you know, he's barely ever hit well. In fact, it was like a half a season. He, he was okay. one good season. Not even really a, good a few season. good months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but now to see him turn it around like he has, and yes, it's a small sample size as of right now, but him doing that has really, really allowed, I think, Goldschmidt to get into the rhythm of things here as well. And depends on where you put the order. I feel like Mike Schilt is changing the order just subtly almost every game right now. Well, here's the thing for me in 
at least watching these last couple games, Brad Miller is what Matt Carpenter used to be. Brad Miller's not the power guy. He can hit an occasional home run for you, but he's a left-handed hitter who makes contact. He runs the base as well, and he's good for you defensively. Not great. He's good for you. Miller is what Matt Carpenter was supposed to be this season, which is why I think when it comes down to it and everyone's healthy and it comes to, okay, is Matt Carpenter your DH or Brad Miller your DH? You go with the guy whose bat is is providing for you right now and unfortunately for Matt Carpenter he's not gotten to that point but luckily Brad Miller is bridging that gap for the Cardinals of somebody who can just make contact for you. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 260. Wait BK said his exit velocity was awful. Have you changed your mind on this? No his exit velocity still stinks but that's fine. He's hitting the ball all over the place. He's hitting to where they're not. I don't care anymore. I've given up on that argument. I lost. That's fine. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 573. Guys, relax. When is BK ever right? I've been wrong about this. That's a good point. (laughs) Millsy has been so much better than I could have possibly expected. Goldie has been arguably one of the seven to ten best hitters in all of baseball this year. I was wrong. And I'm ready to admit that I was I'll wrong. I'll cut that ribs for us later. We don't even need him to say it. We already have all the other clips. <laughs> It'll keep coming back <laughs> up. It doesn't matter. We'll have another remix will, soon. There will not be a lack of opportunities for me to say exactly <laughs> that on this show. Looking back to Brad Miller a year ago, this is a continuation of what he was in September of last year. In September of last year, in 21 games, including 15 starts, he hit 330 with an 800 slugging percentage. He has months like this, and so maybe you're just catching that really great month. Guys, it couldn't have happened at a better opportunity. Like, this was the time for it to happen because you're still getting some of your players back. Your pitching staff is still working its way back, and you saw last night Jack Flaherty looked great, but he's still not Jack Flaherty in terms of being able to go deep in games. He's on a pitch count right now, so if ever there was going to be a time for an unknown or a relative unknown to come through with his best month, It's right now for the Cardinals. They needed it right now. And you're going up against some pitching staffs where he can take advantage of them, and he's doing exactly that. If he gives you a month of solid hitting, that's almost the season at this point. Like, I'm just saying, right? Like, how many games are they going to play in 30 days? Well, I don't know how it lines up, but it's going to be more than 30. It's probably 35 to 40 range, right? Yeah. So if he has a good month or a great month, that sets you up pretty good. So Brad Miller had the quote of the night last night, Jamie Rivers, and I think this is going to be right up your alley. This guy has Jamie Rivers written all over him. He's a gritty (laughs) underdog story who I didn't believe in, so he's already got your heart from that respect. And he's just making up nicknames left and right. So here's what he had to say about Paul Goldschmidt's new nickname. All Paul has done is he unbuttoned. He's playing with one button unbuttoned, so that's his version of of a little flash so yeah he, he's the big fundamental the big fundamental what the, do you think the big fundy we have to shorten that up just a little bit i don't like it the big fundy that's it i like it i like his little poke though that's a subtle poke <laughs> at goldie because that's a hockey we player's know, poke we know goldie's like well not uptight but he's very like you know like conservative and you know polished to go off of his statement there He's buttoned up. He's buttoned up, exactly. And now he's kind of poking fun at Goldie there. He's got one button undone, and that's that's basically him showing you he's got some flair to him. 
65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. I smell a new segment called I Was Wrong Again by the Bad Call Baron BK. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Let's sell it. I was wrong. You were right. I'm dumb. I don't You're think, smart. I don't think we have enough. Oh, what? I don't think we have enough content of me being wrong Are to you, be able to do a full segment on it, you know? We might have enough content to run, like, a, a Greatest Hits album and just keep rolling it out. I already got the open for us. Take a listen. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. <laughs> there we go. I don't, I don't really know why Ferrario was recording our pre-show conversation, Jamie. I uh, don't appreciate that. Stupid, I did not. Stupid. You're smart. That's not actually every consent. morning. That's our pre-show meeting. Yeah, that's usually the text of the night before, too. <laughs> It's 11-12, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm wrong, Jamie's right, Ferrario's right. This is how the show goes. We've been together for almost four and a half months at this point, so I guess I should probably go ahead and get used to it. We've got a fun show for you today. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us coming up at 11.30. If that's not enough blues information for you, how about Darren Drager at 12.15 and Craig Button of TSN coming up at 1 o'clock? And oh, by the way, Mike Matheny, the former Cardinals manager, is going to stop by coming up at 12.45. But coming up next, yesterday, Emily Kaplan said that she's heard from other players around the league. The Blues might not have had their heart in this bubble. I think we heard a Blues player admit something similar yesterday. We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It was hard to stay sharp mentally. You never know if it was going to last two weeks, three weeks, a month, and then after three months, maybe it was not just going to be canceled. So I'm not sure how each guy's uh, managed manage that throughout the league, but you can tell that um, some teams, um, their, their, their guys, their individual got really prepared. And uh, I don't know if we lacked in that department or not, but uh, it was evident from the, the first three games that we didn't grab our game the way we needed to to, to have success there. That was David Perron yesterday, Jamie. And I found that statement to be particularly interesting, especially after we heard Emily Kaplan on this show say, basically, hey, I've heard from other players around the league. I'm not sure that the Blues truly had their hearts in this. That's what other players around the league were telling Emily Kaplan of ESPN.com. And then David Perron comes on. And if you missed any of that, what he just said, he just sum it up. He said, I think it's up to each individual to get yourself ready. Not only during this time we are off to train so as hard as you can so that you're ready for the restart. It was also hard to stay sharp mentally. You never knew it, if it was going to last two, three, three weeks, maybe a month, and then get canceled. I'm not sure how guys managed uh, that throughout the league, but you could tell some guys were more prepared. I think that last statement right there is what I found particularly interesting. I'm not sure how guys manage that throughout the league, but you could tell some guys were more prepared. So, of course, referencing his own team there. What did you make of that? Well, look, our conversation with Emily Kaplan yesterday was a great conversation. And, yeah, she alluded to the fact that there are some players around the league that had said uh, the Blues maybe weren't all in it. You know, they weren't all in, maybe. And... I took that with a grain of salt because we're not there. We're not in the bubble. 
I'm not the guy that those players are telling that story to. So as much as Emily Kaplan is very reputable and Mm -hmm. great at what she does, I tend to wait to make my decision. Hearing David Perron be, quite honestly, to be so open and honest about this whole thing, to me that really spoke volumes. To me it showed that, and there's several times where he talks about they, they, they. Like, not us, they. And all that tells me is that there's a group of players that the leadership group probably doesn't feel like they were all in on this. And if that's the case, then look, it stinks because the Blues could probably or should be still playing, but they're not. But you've identified it now. So now those players or, you know, whoever needs to readjust themselves. Look, in fairness, maybe this whole thing caught them off guard because at one point, let's be honest here, we weren't thinking that this was going to happen. We weren't. It, it was in limbo. It was all over the place. We weren't sure. The players weren't we sure. We never even knew the exact city because we were told Vegas for so long, and then Vegas was taken off the board at the last minute. And the negotiations with the CBA and all that stuff, there were a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors, and there was a big portion of the players at first that were like, nope, we're not playing. Mm-hmm. We're not playing. And so, therefore, I'm sure a lot of these guys were like sitting back going, you know what? I don't know when the heck we're going to play, so maybe I'm just going to sit on my couch for another week or so. Well, look, the matter of the fact is we had numerous players tell us on the air. I mean, we'd had guys join us that said, well, right now I'm just resting because this is our offseason. And at the time it made sense because if you're going to compete and if you're going to be turned on, then you're going all the way to the cup, which is until October, which has given you a month or two off. It made sense at the time. But then you look at the teams that, that got on the ice together that didn't leave their home city and go back to their native country or city wherever they're from, those teams are still playing. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, they were on the ice probably before Phase 3 was even close to being started. <laughs> yeah, to their own detriment at yeah. one point. Yeah, Steven Stamkos right now. But Vancouver was another team. Vancouver was skating as a team before Phase 3 started. They were out there together in small groups. You go around in league and you look at the teams, and then you look at the teams that didn't skate until Phase 3 started. That one, unfortunately, was the Blues, which is where David Perron's coming from. Guys just weren't mentally bought in right away. And I I kind of understand it to an extent, right? We all were on this show at one point in probably around early July. This was when we thought that baseball was going to be coming back, but we weren't so sure at that point of of whether or not hockey was going to be able to pull this off. Are they going to be able to return to their home markets? Once they do, are they going to be able to make it through those few weeks while actually getting to the hub cities? Once they get to the hub cities, are there going to be players that opt out? Like we all had a lot of questions about it at the time. And if we had questions from the outside looking in, I'm sure sure that the players also had a lot of those same questions. And they're figuring all of that stuff out while kind of trying to stay in shape, but also wondering if they're supposed to be getting in like game shape or just staying in shape for the offseason. And those are two very different things. And I think at a certain point, they kind of got caught in the middle. Yeah, they were in shape. They weren't in blues game shape, as we talked about so often whenever they got up to the bubble. And then you've got quotes like this from David Perron, because I'm sure some guys were in blues game shape. Other guys were not, and that's where the disconnect comes in, and then you start the losing, and that's where some of the finger-pointing comes in as well. Well, to me, you could clearly tell who was in Blue's game shape. I think those guys rose to the top. Even though the success of the team wasn't there, almost every game you're like, okay. like you, Ryan O'Reilly, he was in Blue's game shape. David Perron, Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, Heck, uh, a little Justin bit of a delay. Falk was. 
Well, yeah, Justin Falk That's was. That's actually a good point. But Braden Shen took him the round robin to mm-hmm. get to where he was going. Alex Petrangelo looked like he was in Blues game shape. I'm not going to hone in on the guys that didn't look good. I think we can tell by watching some of the, the games. that did look like they were on their game. Yeah, For sure. But I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say here at the end is this is what we're talking about is exactly why you saw that kind of play. One good period, one bad period. Mm-hmm. Two good periods, one bad period. The third periods were a disaster in the round robin. Why? Because he ran out of gas. You can fake it for a period. You can fake it for two periods. But that third period, if it's a tight checking game and it's hard, I'm sorry. You're going to push the gas and there's nothing left in the tank. This is why that happened. We can talk about the mentality of, well, these games don't really matter at the first... To me, that's a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. I said it on here. I lost my mind the one morning about hey, you it. You yelled at me. I did. I yelled at anybody who would listen, which aren't many people usually. But anyways. At least two I, or three. At least two or three. But I got mad about that. But then now looking back at it, they just weren't able to get there. And I think Craig Berube ultimately chose the path of discarding these games because I think he felt it, that my team's not there. And if I put so much emphasis on these games... And we fall short. Wow, where are we mentally then? Well, and as Emily Kaplan told us yesterday, I mean, look, the Blues did the same thing that Boston Bruins did. Boston Bruins just played down the entire round, Robin, saying it didn't matter and it wasn't even necessary. And then they've gone out and taken a 2-0 lead already in their first, second round against Tampa Bay. So you can play the round robin card and say these are a joke they don't matter because they don't matter but if you're not playing if you don't know you can get to your game then they do matter and that's unfortunately what hurt the blues and now as we kind of push towards what's going to happen next season because that's what's ahead for the blues there was a report yesterday from john shannon and he works up in sportsnet in canada said hearing the nhl and the nhl players association have had preliminary talks about next season One proposal is to create four bubble cities and rotate all 31 teams in those venues in eight-game increments. At present, there is no indication if all cities would be in Canada, but that would make the most sense. As I read that, Jamie, (laughs) I thought to myself, well, the Blues better get their bleep together then, because we saw in this format, they didn't look like themselves. And some of that, as we have just said, was about them not being in Blues game shape. But some of it may have also been about the lack of fans. And Jordan Bennington earlier today on his Zoom call with the media spoke to that. Hate us, love us, hate me, hate, love me. Uh, the fans, we miss the fans. We miss the atmosphere. And, you know, it, that, that energy is it's exciting and uh, makes it more more fun to play. So it was uh, it was a different experience and something we had to do. And, and you know, all the players came together and, you know, we worked and we did our best. And um, the guys still there are working so um, you know, they've done a good job putting together what they can. And, um, you know, we're just, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was different. We missed the atmosphere for sure. I don't blame. Him. I think that's the truest statement that you'll hear from somebody playing there, but I don't blame them. Okay. Let, let me try to, to put myself in their shoes. Half of the games I played in the NHL, I was motivated by fans. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but there were either fans that loved what I was doing or fans that hated what I was doing. It is a, it is another type of fuel that you get. And people could say, well, they're paid millions of dollars. They're professionals. You know, the guy who builds the road doesn't have people applauding him. I get it. OK, but if he had people that were cheering him on from the moment he started paving roads, he'd miss it halfway through if he didn't have it anymore. So, Jamie, I'm a runner. 
And uh, that's where my athletic experience comes from. You know what the hardest part of the runs are? Well, making it to the toilet in time. Putting oh, your shoes on? Come I on, boys. It's well, when you don't have the crowd cheering you on. It's the miles where you're in the woods, and it's just you, your footsteps, and your music at that time. Whenever you've got the crowd cheering you on along the sides, it's easy to be able to keep on pushing on because that's your extra added uh, motivation, the enthusiasm mm-hmm. that comes from that. And listen, that's obviously tongue-in-cheek. My athletic experience, my prowess is far from being an NHL player right but i can understand where that comes from for them that being said well then you better find out how to find that internal motivation because if this is going to be the way that the nhl starts next season the blues have to adapt they have to adjust everybody's going to have to it's not just on them it's on every team across the nhl i don't know how long they'll go with this maybe it is a month where they're in the bubbles and then they're able to go back to their home cities maybe it is the entire season we're not sure But if I'm the Blues right now, given what we just saw up in Edmonton, I'm starting to prepare for that immediately. How can we change the outcomes of what we just had to make sure that we are better in this format whenever we return again? Well, that's definitely what Craig Berube is doing. Okay, Um, look, Chief has been at the rink the last two days early in the morning. I know because I've seen him and he's already preparing for things to get into the offseason. And no specifics, but I guarantee that they're planning to figure out how to motivate this team in a bubble atmosphere. And let me I tell you this again, from my own personal experience, I lived in a room in the bottom of the rink in Russia when I played there with no roommates, nobody around that spoke English. No, seriously, it was really hard. It was hard to every day in, day out, day in, day out. Now they have their teammates and, you know, the no fans in the stands. That's a whole other thing. But now what they have is they actually have a a, a record of how this works. They're going to have knowledge of, dang, we were really good at this. We were really bad at that. We did great decisions here, poor decisions here. So I do think, and you know what? Sometimes a big old pie, a big humble pie right in the face Mm -hmm. sometimes creates a lot of magic. And so the Blues now, and Craig Ruby specifically, can tell players that maybe weren't ready, that maybe didn't take it seriously, that, hey, we're not doing that again, and it should be a different story. My two cents, if this is life next year in the bubble, at least for the Blues, you got to find a player who can bring some life and some excitement into that bubble. And it's like what a Pat Maroon was. It's like what a Joel, you got to get somebody who kind of rallies the troops. So we got guys on this roster. I'm available, Alex. You are. You were great in the locker room. Yeah. Um, as long as I don't have to play, they, I'd be a good addition. Hey, you, you could be a third goaltender. Third goalie. Yeah, third goalie. But that's what that. I heard you almost got there. I did. I almost, did almost got there, there one time. I think that's what you're going to have to look at. Look at Reeves with Vegas, Maroon with Tampa. You got to get guys like that who, who makes it exciting to be around for a long period of time. And I would also say this. As much as the Blues are going to learn from this first experience, the NHL is too. We of talked course. about this yesterday. Jamie, they, they didn't have much for these guys to do. Got to have more. Wherever these bubble cities are, whether it's four, eight, two, however many, you got to have stuff for the players to do while they're in that town. You've got to have that set up immediately ready to go. So that way these players aren't just going straight from their room to the ice, back to the room, back to the ice, so on and so forth. There's got to be a little bit more to it. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be joined by Darren Drager, Craig Teen, Craig Button of TSN, going to join us coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford handed out his great grade card for the Blues in this postseason run.
There were a lot more F's than you would like to see. We'll talk to JR about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Oh, it's that time of the week again. Time to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, thanks so much for the time as always, man. I saw your report card went up last night, and there was a lot of Fs on this list. Yeah, the guys, this was a this was a tough one. It really was. And, you know, I haven't done these report cards uh, every year, but you know, I remember uh, doing report cards years ago where the expectations just weren't that high. So even though a guy didn't play well, you'd say, okay, C minus. The guy just isn't very good. He gave it his all. But, you know, this is a Stanley Cup roster. This is a team that won last year, and this is a team that was in first place in the Western Conference at the pause. So as I sat down to uh, to write up these uh, grades for these players, I just felt like they needed to be judged on what they've accomplished and uh, what the expectations were going into this tournament. Jared, as you worked your way through the list of players, and I'm sure you, you had thoughts before you started this report card, but as you worked your way through the list and you started grading players, which players really surprised you that you were forced to give them a grade that wasn't all that great? Well, I think there's a few of them, and uh, you know, every, everybody's got an opinion, and obviously I had mine. You have to sit down and, and write up the, the report card. Uh, but guys like Robert Thomas, guys like Colton Pareko, Oscar Sundquist, uh, you know, these guys have been terrific. And kind of piggybacking on what I just said a minute ago, the expe- expectations are so high for a guy like Robert Thomas. So I said Evans in his little grade is an F for Robert Thomas harsh yes it is but he is going to be an outstanding player in the league for 15 years and here's a guy who is terrific this year and he goes into this tournament he can be the x factor that's and and i I realize that's media driven that's built up but he can be that player and so to come away with just the two assists one at even strength uh he just had the six shots on goal He, he just has to shoot it more uh, I felt was a little bit of a disappointing uh, postseason for him. And then, you know, just a, a note on Colton Pareko, another dynamite player, a guy who can play 15 years in this league, and he just looked off the entire uh, playoff, I thought. JR, we were just talking about David Perron's comments from yesterday about the Blues, and it, I, I'm going to read this part of the quote that really stood out to us, and I wanted to get your reaction to what he had to say as well. Uh, he said, I'm not sure how guys managed that throughout the league, but you could tell some guys were more prepared, talking about basically getting back into game shape, shape and being prepared for this postseason bubble format. What did you make of what you heard from David Perron yesterday? And have you heard that elsewhere, both on or off the record? No, um, you know, it's been difficult for these past couple months because there just aren't a lot of personal conversations. Um, I think that a lot of the stuff we do is on the Zoom. Uh, But I give David Perron credit, and he's always been that type of guy to kind of speak his mind, whether it's on or off the record, on the Zoom call, or you're chatting with him at his locker stall. And he even said it post-game after the Game 6 loss the other night that he didn't feel like the effort was there from a lot of guys, the intensity. And, And so when he's talking about the preparation 
you know, he's of course not going to give names. You know, he hasn't told me any names, but he's going to speak the truth. And if he feels that there were certain guys that maybe didn't uh, prepare well enough during the pause or, or they, uh, during the tournament, just didn't have the intensity that they need, then, then I think, uh, you know, that's right. His right to say it. He, he's been around for a long time and he's got a lot invested into this team. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's not a situation where he's going to be able to, to name names. No, certainly he's not going to call guys out in the media. But the, I guess the question I got for you, JR, on this one is, you know, we talk about the culture now that surrounds the Blues and the leadership group that they have. Do you think this is a leadership group that has already addressed some of this or that will very shortly, never mind the coaching staff and the management, because we all know that that's a whole other level of conversation. But with the guys that they have in the locker room now, such as Perron, O'Reilly, Shen, and, and, and so on and so on, do you think this is going to be addressed internally and so that they can keep that culture that they've developed here? Yeah, they certainly have developed a, a great culture, and, and I get it. I do think that it probably was addressed. We heard uh, that they had a players-only meeting during the tournament. I know that that was uh, early on, and then thereafter, you still uh, saw some inconsistent play and, and guys that uh, didn't appear to be to be bringing it. There were rumblings that uh, some of the Blues just weren't happy about being up there. The motivation wasn't great. That wasn't just in St. Louis. You heard that with some teams around the league, including some of the better teams, guys. I mean, is it a coincidence that the Blues and the Washington Capitals and for a while there, the Boston Bruins, the teams that have had a lot of success here lately, uh, just weren't feeling it? I don't know. So, you know, moving forward, they have to keep that culture and and so this has to be addressed in terms of who brought it, who didn't, and, and what the leaders think about it. But i got to be honest with you, is in listening to players the past couple days and even the past couple weeks, they just felt that this was so different that this is like a, a one-off. Hey, they didn't play well. They're upset they didn't play well. They, they disappointed a lot of people, didn't play up to expectations. But they all just keep saying, okay, we're moving past it and, and we're moving on to next year. So I don't know that they're – uh, necessarily that disappointed that under these circumstances it didn't work out. Uh, you know, I, I know that's kind of you know honest right there, but the, I just get the impression that these guys feel whenever training camp comes uh, comes around, they'll be ready to play hockey again, and they feel if, if the circumstances are somewhat back to normal uh, that they can resume that culture and, and be in who they were. Jr. Talking of culture that has been created here in St. Louis. And speaking of next year, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Alex Petrangelo. And, you know, he's a huge part of that locker room. He's the captain of your team. And we're in a situation now where he becomes unrestricted uh, at, at some point or unless they can get a deal done before that. But what is your gauge right now on, you know, how this might play out in the next month or so? Yeah, it's it's it continues to be difficult to analyze. It really does because of the Blues' salary cap situation. You're talking about a couple million dollars a cap, and uh, you still have to sign uh, Vince Dunn, who didn't have a great playoff. To me, I've said it from day one. I'll stick to it. Is that if there's a chance to re-sign Alex Petrangelo, if the money's right from the Blues' perspective, Doug Armstrong, um, I think they'll find a way to re-sign him. And you know, I've thrown out the percentage, seventy, seventy-five percent. I know that sounds high. But that's what he means to this team. I know that Doug Armstrong realizes that, and he'll move some parts to make it work. So the the salary cap, you know, a million, two million dollars, you know, that doesn't scare me off as much as the fact 
what's the, the term going to be? Do they want to lock up Alex Petrangelo for six, eight years, knowing that they've got to sign uh, Colton Pareko pretty soon? To me, that's a bigger concern than can Doug Armstrong move a few parts here this offseason to make it work. So uh, we just talked to Alex Petrangelo about that on a Zoom call. And he said, what do you expected him to say? You know, it's a different time right now. Of course, my wife and I are having the conversations about what we're going to do. Uh, but it is what it is right now until those negotiations begin. And if I could throw in one more detail, I asked uh, Alex Petrangelo, continuing that legacy in St. Louis, the potential of having a statue out front, retiring number 27, does that matter to you? And he said, yes, it does. I would love to go to games uh, down the road and, and take the kids, take the triplets down to uh, Enterprise Center and see that type of thing. But he said, I haven't done enough yet to get there. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds. We're talking with Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic here on Ribs and BK. Uh, JR, I, I had one more question for you. I, I heard a quote from Craig Berube on the fast lane yesterday. He said, our, our style of play has proven that it works. We proved it once again this season being in first place in the West. I don't think there's a whole lot of changes to make that way, end quote. I also heard you yesterday on the fast lane, and you said very succinctly, the Blues looked slow in the playoffs. How do you balance those two things of the Blues have a very specific style of play that has proven that it works while also in the offseason trying to make sure you go out and get some players that can make this a faster, quicker, more agile hockey team? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, the Blues look slow because they were disjointed and they weren't playing together. When they play together, they can be a faster team. And that's how a lot of teams around the league have to play fast. It has to be as a group. It has to be moving the puck. Not everybody has a Connor McDavid. So it doesn't mean, you know, that they need to go out and get three burners. It just means that if, if they're not going to have those burners, then they need to play together as a team. And let's face it, some of these guys on this uh, Blues roster, you know, are getting into the, you know, late 20s, early 30s, the O'Reilly you know, Tarasenko, Petrangelo, some of those guys. So they got to play together. Secondly, they didn't come in waves, and that's what everybody's talking about. And part of the reason, you didn't have the Barbashev, Sunquist, Steen, healthy line. You didn't have that group. So if you go back and watch last season, we all know it. That's how a lot of their success came is because they kept coming at you. That third line, Maroon, Bozak, Thomas. The Blues did not have that with their bottom six this year. So if they're not playing together and they're not coming at you in waves, you look slow, and that's what uh, that's what I saw. Now, Craig Bruby obviously can look at it and say, hey, there's not much we have to change. That's true, uh, but they have to have the personnel in there, and they have to have the personnel playing together. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can read his work over on The Athletic. That's where you find his report card from the Blues postseason run. A lot of Fs on that list, a lot more than certainly any of us had hoped we would find at the end of this run. JR, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, boys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. Found what he had to say about um, the quotes from Alex Petrangelo, particularly interesting. I want to get to those with you, Jamie, on the other side. Plus, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with something that JR just mentioned with us, though. 
Alex Petrangelo is having his Zoom press conference today, basically his exit interview from the season. And here's a quote from him to Jeremy Rutherford. Quote, I think I need to accomplish more in order to get statue and retiring his number and all of that. But for me personally, of course that matters. I think about being able to take my kids down to games and they see that stuff would obviously be important to me. I'm always thinking about my family and what I can show my kids. That would obviously be something that would be special for sure, end quote. How much do you think this kind of a thing will play into Petrangelo's decision, Jamie? Uh, Quite a bit, actually. I mean, look, you get a guy like Alex Petrangelo who was drafted here by the St. Louis Blues, developed here, turned into a captain. Now he's captain to Stanley Cup championship. Now he's at the point where he's a premier defenseman in the NHL. His legacy, he's almost there. He's almost written his story, but there's still work to be done. He's 30 years old. This is a guy that's in phenomenal shape. He could play easily 35, 36, 37 years old. Heck, it might even be longer with any luck. But I definitely know for a fact that he's a very proud individual. And what he leaves behind that his name is attached to means a lot to him. Uh, For me, when you look at it, and I've never been an NHL player, so Rivs, you can speak to this more than I, but if I were in Petrangelo's shoes and I were to power rank him, Being a cup contender for the length of time in the NHL is probably my number one priority. I'd put legacy over pay. You're going to get paid what you think you deserve to be paid, but if it's a couple million dollars short, legacy to me is more important being remembered than having $2 million extra per year. I always wonder how much of that is pushing our own beliefs onto another person. Like I'd, Maybe that is exactly what Petrangelo's tier ranking is, right? Maybe it does go for him. Uh, winning first, second legacy, third money. I just don't know what his ultimate decision is going to be based on because for some guys it is money first and that it's not a shot against it them, is if but... you're in a really crappy environment right and you're looking at a team that doesn't have a window open for a championship right you're like you know what if i'm gonna go through this misery i'm gonna get paid well the yeah. reason why i say that is because like petro's gonna have options everywhere if the blues can afford him and they currently have two million dollars of salary cap every team more or less can find a way to make it work if they want to with alex petrangelo so there's gonna be contenders that might be interested in his services. And then it really comes down to that legacy part. You can win here or there. The money is at least similar, maybe. Is it more important for you to get the top dollar, the most that you can possibly get from this other team, or does the legacy outweigh that? I think that could be a big part of this conversation. I think the biggest thing with this negotiation is that if Alex Petrangelo is ready to focus on the legacy and forego some of the money, I think he's going to want term mm-hmm. to continue the, the legacy. You want to be locked up until That's you right. call it a career. You don't want to go four years and then be 34 and then them say, well, you've hit your peak. Move on. We're going to move somewhere yeah. else. And then your legacy is destroyed, too, because, yeah, you may end as the top point producer as a defenseman in the league and won a Stanley Cup, but you didn't finish your career here. And I don't know how much. And and Bernie Federko was very similar. Bernie was traded away. Bernie went to Detroit. He ended his career there. He he basically left because he was like, this is not who I am. Exactly. 
but he never won a cup. So you can argue that the legacy is going to be there still. The, the yeah, number Petro gets retired. Have a legacy no, no matter a, what. Guys, there's a legacy for the, the for the rest of time because he's the first captain right. to lift the cup. Yeah. The number, you could argue, still goes up into the rafters at the end of his career, even if he's not here at the end even of his season. Even if he season. never plays another game, exactly. it's possible. So, yeah. But I guess overall to look at it is Petro is going to want to continue being the captain of the yeah. Blues, it's going to be six, seven years he'll ask for, and that way there maybe the number comes down. It's more affordable. Certainly in four or five years, the number that he's asking for will be really manageable. Right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, I know you've talked a lot about Alex Steen and what he could look like this offseason, potentially being a buyout candidate. I read yesterday that he's injured. What does that mean for his offseason status? Uh, Basically, does this change anything for the Blues' ability to buy him out? Yeah, you can't do anything. If a guy's injured, until a player is cleared, you can trade a guy, okay? But the team that you trade him to has to literally write it into the trade that they're accepting an injured player and that they're okay with basically getting damaged goods, right? You can't buy out an injured player? You cannot buy out an injured player. So they have to pass the physical, right? They have to pass the physical. Otherwise, there'd be. That's why so many players that get injured, then the teams keep have to keep them on. Then you see teams like Arizona way back mm-hmm. when, basically trading for guys with dead money because yeah. they needed to add that. You can't do it. And to be clear with Steen, it wasn't something that was needed of surgery or anything like that. He said yesterday on a Zoom call, it's just something that was nagging him from training camp into the bubble, and it just never got right. But he said, Steen said that his plan, because he doesn't know what his future holds, because he hears the rumors, he said that my plan right now is to meet with doctors, find out what I need to do to be 100%, but I'll be 100% ready to go for training camp. And as of right now, he's expected to count for 5.75 in his cap hit, but uh, we'll see what happens there. That's... Uh, if you can't buy him out, then you have to make some type of package deal if you want to keep Petro, because Allen Allen is the only thing that happens. You got to move something else. Yeah, if if Alexander Steen is one of your options in the keeping Petro package, then you got to buy him out. Right? Nobody's going to trade for that. How likely Rivs is it and BK of a deal getting worked out, but Armstrong making the first year of that contract lower? so that they can get to the expansion draft and negate some it's of that overall, money. overall, though, average, right? So even if the first year of the contract is $3 million, let's say, if the four-year, right. five-year are 7 or $8 million, it's the average. Right, but it doesn't affect the salary cap for that year as much, correct? No, it does. That yeah, number does. is steady throughout the entire contract. Really? That's how they calculate it is they take total dollar value of it. Like because the, I thought Toronto was seen, for instance, with Steen, his base salary next year is $3.5 million, but his cap hit for every year on his contract was 5.75. Yeah. See, I thought Toronto did that with some of their players. No, they tried to front. What they did is they went real much. Money, right, so they went signing bonus of thirty million dollars, but you're going to make a million dollars a year, so that they can work the salary cap system. They can kind of no, actually, it's the, cash. It's still working, but they're the, the salary cap stays the same on that. That's why Toronto screwed. Is the salary cap is gotcha. the same, but what happens is their lockout pandemic protected, so that these players, no matter yeah. what, they're getting their money. Pay that man his gotcha. money. Gotcha. And for instance, the Chiefs did the opposite, where. Recently, Patrick Mahomes got a $500 million contract 
and he got $10 million in signing bonus. Like, it's it's crazy the way that some of these contracts work and the way that they are able to do so. By the way, for anybody listening that doesn't know how it works with the buyout, if the Blues were to buy out Alex Steen this year, according to Cap Friendly, they would save $2.3 million. It would yeah. still be 3.4 against the cap. They would save $2.3 million. So well, even him out. and Allen and the money that you have left over gives you nine mil. You can make it work. You but got you're Vince not doing Dunn. anything else. You got Vince done. There's other moves. That can, listen, guys, you look you look down the rankings. Mm-hmm. There's guys that can be moved. There's things that can oh, be yeah. maneuvered uh, for sure. If you want it to happen bad enough, you make it happen. It's tough. But I mean, this is this is what the cost is of winning a Stanley Cup. That's what we're talking about right now. It's it's the cup that changes everything. It's the cost of doing business. I hear that every day. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like that answer. You know, we said uh, the goaltending decision was going to be the toughest decision of Ruby's career. This will be the toughest offseason of Armstrong's career. I think this is tougher than what last year's offseason off was. These next two years. Yeah. I pre- these next two years with both goalies expiring at the end of next season, whether you trade Jake Allen or not yeah. or whatever, Petro deal, Jaden Schwartz, all that stuff's coming to a head. This is going to be two years of a lot of work. This is Armstrong. where a GM either makes his legacy in the, with the team or he finds his way out the door. I, I'm really interested in the order of operations here too. If you're Doug Armstrong, because you almost, the first thing he has to figure out is Petro. Because if you if you don't bring back Petro, well then all, some of these other dominoes they take care of themselves. Don't have to fall. Yeah. 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 Like you, you can even potentially but, yeah. bring back Jake Allen for next year if, if that's what you decide to do. Maybe 100%. they still decide to ship him out. But there's other things that all mm-hmm. rely on whether or not Petro comes back. So the longer that that drags out, the longer some of these other conversations with other other teams or individual players, buyouts, trades, all of these different things. It's fascinating, man. It is absolutely fascinating. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Coming up next... The Cardinals are entering the next stage with Carlos Martinez, and it's as fascinating as any of the others. We'll tell you the latest coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by one of the best hockey insiders in North America. He is Darren Drager. He does his work for TSN. You can give him a follow on Twitter at his name, Darren Drager. Darren, we appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Let's start with the obvious question for the St. Louis Blues. The big question for Army going into the offseason is how in the world do you make this work? with Alex Petrangelo as we get things started here Darren what do you think this looks like for the Blues and Petrangelo well it's a formidable challenge no question about that I I know that there's an appetite from both sides to get something done you know Alex Petrangelo and his family have always been happy with St. Louis and, and with the Blues organization and that's not changing now because he's earned the right to unrestricted free agency but there is a business side to this as we know all too well and that's been applied on an annual basis in St. Louis and uh, around the National Hockey League and and I always respect players uh, especially the stature of Alex Petrangelo who you know want to make sure that the business side of things is is looked after you know the, the notion of a hometown discount yeah I mean I guess it's it, 
What's the definition of that? You know, is it a year less term? Uh, Is it flat out less money? I mean, we're not going to know that until these two sides get into the heavy lifting of that back and forth. And as of this morning, that that wasn't the case. Not to say that St. Louis isn't going to tender an attractive offer. I mean, they respect their captain enough that, you know, they're going to do what they believe is prudent and necessary. And then it goes from there. But I think what we can also appreciate here, guys, is if Petrangelo gets to the open market, pandemic aside, um, lost revenue aside, players like that just don't come available very often. No different than star goaltenders uh, or top centers. So the market will be as strong as Alex Petrangelo needs it to be. Yeah, so the Dregs, that's where I wanted to go with this next is that I don't, just like you said, I don't believe the pandemic will affect a player like Alex Petrangelo. But that being said, you know, what are some of the teams that you could see that are really, really interested? And I know there's a lot of them that would love to have Alex Petrangelo, but teams that you think would be automatic to where they'd be calling Doug, or calling Alex Petrangelo and Newport Sports talking about how great their city is. Yeah, well, I can pick three Canadian teams. Revs automatically, <laughs> you know, and, and Toronto is obvious. And then you know the deal that Kyle Dubas made today is is important in moving Casper Capitan to the Pittsburgh Penguins because it frees up three point two million dollars in cap space. And Toronto needs cap space because they need to invest money and attention to their blue line with Tyson Berry not likely coming back, Cody Cece not likely coming back. So you stay in Canada and you go out west. And you look at Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg went through just an unbelievable situation with Dustin Bufflin all of last year prior to the pause. Uh, I mean, obviously, Winnipeg would prefer to have Dustin Bufflin back on the ice and in their lineup. That's not going to happen. But they can utilize the cap space generated by Bufflin deciding to do what he did and not being part of the organization now moving forward. And then you've got the Calgary Flames. And, and no different to Winnipeg and, and Toronto, you know, Calgary's got expiring contracts in Travis Hamanick and in T.J. Brody. And Calgary is as disappointed as Winnipeg is, as Edmonton was, as Toronto is. I mean, go down the list uh, because they didn't, they, they didn't achieve their goal this year in, in a bizarre uh, scenario in terms of the return to play, but doesn't matter. In the playoffs, they didn't achieve their goal. So there are three Canadian teams, and you can probably add another 10, maybe even 15 around the league that if a player of the status of Alex Petrangelo actually hits the market, they're going to call and they're going to have interest. Now, Dregs, a follow-up to that is how important do you think, your opinion only, obviously, but how important yeah. do you think it is that Alex goes to a team that's, you know, considered to be a contender or headed in that direction? Because, look, the Detroit Red Wings could have as much cap space as humanly possible, and he may yeah. not want to go to a team like that, not because it's a bad team, I think it's a heck of an organization, but just because they're so far away from a championship window. Yeah, I, I hear you. And and based on, on my opinion here, I would say that, that, is, that that's going to be key to any decision that Petrangelo makes. Um, you know, he's not going to leave a team that, that he proudly won a Stanley Cup with and, and believes that he can win more Stanley Cups in St. Louis, you know, because he's, he's chasing all the money. The money has to be part of it, uh, but so does winning and having an opportunity to win. You know, especially for players at, at his age, I mean, you'd like to believe that you can play forever, 
But as Jamie would tell you, you can't play forever. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> yeah, at some point, you know, father time catches up and you go, okay, geez, you know, the money was great and my family's family's families are going to be looked after. But if I had decided this seven years ago, maybe I'd been able to, you know, tuck a couple of extra Stanley Cups away. So, you know, the competitive aspect is, is key, and that's what you look for in balance. But that's what Newport Sports, who represents Alex Petrangelo, does best, right? Like, they're, they're going to give that client, Alex Petrangelo, every conceivable scenario. All right, well, if you want to stay in St. Louis, here's the Blues offer. We don't think that we can push that much higher than what Army has already put on the table well here are the other umpteen offers that you can consider and and these are the ones that we think based on everything they've got organizationally that are going to be competitive and they are going to be contending teams all of that is what newport sports kind of boils down to before the client makes the official decision we're talking with Darren Drager. He's TSN's Hockey Insider here on 101 ESPN. So, Darren, the Blues currently have $2 million in cap space. That's obviously not enough to be able to bring back Alex Petrangelo, and they've got Vince Dunn to take care of as well. But we've been talking a lot about the other moves that could potentially be made here. I wanted to ask you about the trade market because we've brought up names like Jaden Schwartz and Tyler Bozak and Jake Allen, of course. How active yeah. do you anticipate the trade market being this offseason? And we've talked about the money in the pandemic. How is that going right. to play into this? Yeah, you know, I think it is going to be active primarily because of the flat salary cap of $81.5 million. And, you know, there are a number of cap teams out there. Mentioned Toronto getting business done early here. Well, Toronto is a cap team. I mean, these teams are going to find ways to comply, but they might have to get creative in, in how they do that. Uh, so you you are going to have business and you are going to have opportunity to, to make moves. And, you know, there's another side of this that's going to be interesting. You know, we, we talk about Petrangelo and you talked about the top of the food chain, the class. You know, guys like that are going to get paid. Taylor Hall is going to get his money. Jacob Markstrom, who's had a, a real strong playoff push for the Vancouver Canucks in goal, you know, a bit of a blemish against uh, Vegas in game one. He's going to get paid as a free agent. Then you look at the middle of the pack of the unrestricted free agents. They're going to take some heat. There's going to be guys there that are going to have to take loss. And then the lower end, your depth forwards, your depth defense, it might be first come, first serve. Take what you can get. And then to complicate things even more, what's arbitration going to look like? You know, there are going to be teams that, that have arbitration cases with certain players, and, you know, they're, they're going to feel like that player is in a position where his arbitration award might be better than $3 million. Well, they like the player. They just don't like that player at $3 million. So do they walk away from that player and not qualify that player? Or do they make a trade with that player, even though it's not a trade that they would, would normally want to make? They just feel like they have to because of a flat cap. So all of those things uh, put into one pot stirs up to tell me those are the ingredients for the recipe of a, of a pretty busy off season. Uh, Dregs, I want to shift gears just a little bit here. And look, as teams are coming home around the NHL, teams that have been eliminated, look, we're all asking, you know, like, what's it like inside the bubble, right? Because I, obviously I, we don't have access to it. 
What are you hearing from the Toronto guys, those teams up there, about how they're enjoying, not enjoying things they like, things that maybe could be better? Because I, I do, I have a feeling for some reason that this bubble concept, it might carry over to the start of next season, and I'm just interested to see, you know, where players are on it. Yeah, I, I mean, it could. It could, and some have speculated on that. I mean, there's discussions that are happening now between the NHL and the NHL Players Association on on what 2021 is going to look like and and when it would start. And, you know, Commissioner Bettman has been pretty rigid on an early December start date. Uh, I'm not buying that anymore because yeah. reality tells me, as I look around North America, that that's, that's just not realistic, unless you maintain – this this bubble concept um i guess i'd throw it right back at jamie or i'd throw it right back at at any nhl player you know the the bubble experiment has been a largely successful one mostly because there have been no positive tests of COVID 19 so great success there but it, it got the sport back on the ice and the national hockey league players association us as hockey fans we needed that but let's make no mistake about this the players were sold on this concept, knowing that there was going to be sacrifice. And the sacrifice is you're in a bubble. You're confined to that bubble. You can't see your families for an extended period of time. But you know when the end is. And the end is when they hoist the Stanley Cup, if you're one of the two fortunate teams, right? Try and convince the players across the league to go into a bubble for a regular season. How could you do that? <laughs> How could you possibly do that? I, there'd have to be breaks in there, like two-week breaks where families are allowed to come in. You're allowed to go see your family. Then that means you're not talking about an 82-game regular season. You're talking about, what, 70, 60 games? I just, the, the, the bubble uh, experiment has been a terrific success for what it is and what it was needed to be. To extend it into the regular season, I think that's too much to ask of the players. Final question that I have for you, Dregs, is one on the Blues specifically. We've talked a lot on this show about, you know, what is it going to take to be able to make this thing work salary cap-wise to bring back Petro if that's the decision that they decide to make. We've talked a lot about Jaden Schwartz in particular as a guy that maybe would have to be moved to make the money work. I also wanted to bring up Vladimir Tarasenko with you because with the mysterious shoulder injury in the postseason and there's just there's always been questions about what that marriage looks like over the long term for the Blues and your apparent yeah. opinion Drakes, what, what do you see with those two players and what would maybe the interest be around the league if they became available? Well, there'd be a terrific amount of interest and I, I agree with your assessment on Tarasenko. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a highly skilled elite-level player. Uh, The injury in the playoffs did not do him any favors. You know, after going through the year that he did with the injury, the hope, of course, was he'd come back in after the pause and and just take off. Uh, And unfortunately for him, that that wasn't the case. So at what point do you consider that and, and hope that he has, you know, more years to come of perfect health, or do you cut bait? And I don't have an answer to that. And I don't think that, that Armstrong or anyone at this point has, has an answer for that. Uh, Jaden Swartz, again, the type of skilled player that, that so many teams would have considerable interest in. So, I mean, names like that are of interest to anybody as long as they're real and, and they, they, they're out there. 
Um, there's a difference between the three of us having a, a speculative conversation and those players being in play. I haven't heard either name yet. Uh, no different than some of the names we were talking about last week, like Johnny Goodrow and Sean Monaghan <laughs> and all of these players out of Calgary, and I'd put those guys in the same category, only I'd give Schwartz and, and Tarasenko the benefit of the doubt and give them the edge because they're Stanley Cup champions. So if, if that's what Armstrong has to do to shake up the core or just because of the reality of the salary cap world, he's going to have no problems developing interest from other clubs. Are there any names you are hearing on the trade market in, as it pertains to the Blues? No, not specific to the Blues. Um, it is starting to percolate a little bit. And, and when you see deals like the one that went down between Toronto and Pittsburgh today, uh, then that, that'll get uh, the, the rumor mill churning even more so. I, Jimmy Rutherford in Pittsburgh, guys, isn't done. He's not done. And, and there could be some interesting names uh, that, that surface out of Pittsburgh in the days to come here. But I, I haven't heard anything specific or dramatic out of St. Louis. He's Darren Drager. You can find his work on TSN, where he is their hockey insider. Also, give him a follow on Twitter, at Darren Drager. Dregs, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll look forward to talking with, talking with you again soon with what is certainly going to be an interesting offseason for the Blues. Yeah, no doubt about that. I look forward to it as well. Be well, fellas. You got it. That's Darren Drager joining us here on 101 ESPN. Let's make this a three-segment hour, if we could, Ferrario, because I want to react to some of the things that he just said there, and we'll get to Mike Matheny coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. Uh, Jamie, I wanted to hear your thoughts on what he said about Vladimir Tarasenko. And, hey, you know, this is probably a question that Army's going to have to answer here pretty soon of do do you keep moving forward with this or do you, do you decide to cut bait with Tarasenko? You think those conversations are happening right now internally? Uh, I'm sure – listen, I'm sure conversations are – Actually, I know from my past experience, not particularly here right now, but the general manager and the coaches are doing an internal evaluation immediately on players. You know, if not immediately, then in a week's time when things cool down, they they definitely do a top to bottom evaluation of the entire staff, the coaching staff and, and everybody involved. And then each player has their report card, so to say, in the evaluation but look, let's make something clear here. Doug Armstrong has not shown any desire to move Vladimir Tarasenko, and he hasn't said a word about it. And, and so this is all speculation. It's all from the speculation. A hundred percent. And like what Darren Drager just said, that if and if that was to ever happen to where you put it out there, he sent an email to the other GM saying, yeah, you know, we're looking to move player X or player Y. And it happens to be a dynamic player in the NHL, well, yeah, you're going to have interest. You're going to have a lot of teams that think that his $7.5 million is attractive. For a point-of-game guy, when he's at his best, it's attractive. It's not a huge cap. It, heck, if you put him back into a Toronto team or something like that where they have guys making 12 and $13 million a year, 7.5 is a bleep on the radar. So, yeah, I think they'd be lined up around the block to offer something now but again look Doug Armstrong in the blues I think that we have to realize something here when Vladimir Tarasenko is on his game he's a difference maker and I think that's why we talk like this is because we're like we just want that guy every single night and it's almost like it's almost a compliment to him that we're having this conversation because he's so damn good like he's an unbelievable player when he's right he just hasn't been right for a while now yeah and the injuries they do become a concern for a general manager that looks at the list and goes, okay, 
we've had a, a, a another injury and it's the same body part i wonder if we have the three years left in this player but i still think three years is an awful long time right if this if we were approaching a year left on vladdy's deal a Jaden schwartz type of situation i think i'd be more inclined to discuss it uh at this point with three years left i think that the blues feel that there's still a lot of production left in this player and again this comeback out of the pause is so unique to this particular season that I don't know if everybody's going to be evaluated based upon that. So I I guess a long-winded answer to your question, but Darren Drager, you know, who's got his finger on the pulse of things in Toronto, the hockey hotbed, yeah, they'd be lined up around the block for him. Yeah, they would. And I'll tell you this, I agree with, with Darren when he said that the offseason is going to be very active. We already saw one piece of it with Pittsburgh, and I think Pittsburgh is going to be making some significant moves. But the more the teams drop out of the playoffs, the more teams sit there and say, okay, we need to shake things up. You remember the year prior to them winning the Stanley Cup when the Blues got bounced or they didn't make the playoffs. We were talking of trading a Tarasenko, of a Schwartz, of a Petrangelo, because when you don't, you don't get that ultimate goal and you can to fall apart then you have to make moves to shake things up so the more teams fall out the more teams that are going to be willing to make a phone call and say hey we need to move this guy who do you got available so that's why at least from Doug Armstrong's perspective look you can't trade Tarasenko unless you're going to find an upgrade offensively because without him we just saw it you can't score goals in the playoffs you need him on the ice so Armstrong's going to get to the point where the offseason hits and people are calling him saying, hey, we need to shake things up. Who do you got available? That's when he looks at it and says, "Okay, is this going to benefit us or is this not going to benefit us? If you got something young in return of Tarasenko that you feel like you can grow from, then, yeah, you investigate it. But for right now, there's nothing out there, at least that teams are willing to give. That is an upgrade from Tarasenko going into next season. Not at 7.5. Exactly. You always got to be listening. You always got to be listening, and if something comes up where you're like, man, this might be worth our while, then you start having the serious conversations about, okay, what would this look like for our team? What would that mean for us? But in the meantime, it's all hypotheticals, and unless you have something on the other side, like this is a a balancing act, right? And right now it's weighing in the favor of Tarasenko because there's literally nothing on the other side of the trade to know exactly what it's going to be. You got to level that thing out before it becomes a real conversation. I did want to get to one other thing that Drager had to say to us, Jamie, because he said that it's players like Petro who, when they hit the market, they will have interest in 10 to 15 different teams. He also added that players like Petro just don't become available very often. And this is not a situation that's going to affect a player like him talking about the pandemic and the money losses that these teams are going through. It seems based on everything we've heard from every national outlet out there, Petro is going to have his pick. If he wants to go somewhere else and he wants to get all of the money, he's going to have that. If he wants to go somewhere else and maybe get a little bit more money while playing for a contender, he'll probably have that option. And then there's going to be St. Louis that's maybe offering a little bit less or maybe a year fewer on the term. But you also have that legacy and the fact that you're staying here in St. Louis where you've built a home with your family. This is going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. We've talked about the salary cap a million different times, but it's also just what you're going up against from other teams and what they can offer as well. It's going to be a tough, tough, uh, tough offseason to be able to keep the captain. So here's a couple of things, right? And Darren Drager, he brought, he, he mentioned it when we talked to him. These guys don't come along very often. It's not often that you get a captain of a Stanley Cup championship team coming off one of his best seasons, if not his best. I know it's a career high in goals for sure. 
and he's a massive power play quarterback on the number one unit of the third power play in the NHL. Right-handed shot. It just doesn't. It's like a unicorn, dude. I'm not kidding. You just those guys are usually already locked up for another four or five years on their contract. So that's going to be interesting. And I think the best way to approach it, if you're the St. Louis Blues, is you think to yourself internally, what would we give up to acquire an Alex Petrangelo? Because sometimes you you lose sight of things because you own him already. Like he's ours. Like you don't really know the value of it. Well, now, so if I was if I took a step back, what would I be willing to give or trade to get an Alex Petrangelo? Would I be willing to trade a Tyler Bozak and a Jake Allen for? Would you make that trade? NHL. Don't even ask EA the question. Sports, NHL, right? They you would decline that, the trade. It yeah. wouldn't be accepted oh, yeah. by would, the computer. It would be like it's not good enough. <laughs> You'd get a computer announcement that flashes up saying, you're an idiot. Take this trade <laughs> right. back. So to my point, exactly. What would you give up to acquire an Alex Petrangelo? That's pretty much what you're going to have to part with in order to keep him. So that's why I can put it. I equate this to Petro hitting the free agency market Let's say after the first Stanley Cup championship that the Blackhawks won, Duncan Keith was a free agent. Or when Kings won the Stanley Cup, Drew Doughty was a free yeah. agent. Go look at elite defensemen in the NHL, and I just pulled it up. Chris Pronger was never a free agent. He was traded every time in his career. Shea Weber, an elite defenseman when he was with Nashville, he was traded to Montreal. Locked up. Locked up and traded. You don't see these guys. Roman Yossi with Nashville was just signed to an extension. This doesn't happen with elite defensemen hitting the market. So regardless of pandemic, and I thought Darren said it perfect, who cares financially? You make this move if you're any other team in the NHL, and you adjust accordingly once you make the move. If you missed any of that conversation with Darren Drager, check it out on the podcast page at 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. Coming up at 1 o'clock, we'll talk to Craig Button, also with TSN, a fantastic analyst. Get his perspective on all of this as well. Coming up next, former Cardinals manager, current Royals manager, Mike Matheny is going to join us to talk about what he learned from his time here in St. Louis and how he's applying it to his new job. Mike Matheny's joining us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk with a man that we certainly enjoy hearing from. He is Mike Matheny, the former Cardinals catcher and manager, the current Royals manager in town to face off against your St. Louis Cardinals right now. Mike, how we doing today? Doing great, guys. Thank you. Good. Hey, first things first, I wanted to see how your family's doing uh, because I haven't seen them in a while. And also, Katie, a new mom, how's she doing with that? Yeah, James, you know what? She's uh, She couldn't be any happier and um, made that transition from being a, uh, a, a full-time hockey girl to, um, to, to motherhood. And uh, she's, uh, she's built for it and responding really well, already talking about having another one and thinking about when to get the first one on those skates. That's awesome. We got to keep the Matheny's in skates, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, hope them except me. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Now, hey, look, I know you guys, baseball family for sure, hockey family as well, uh, watching some of these playoffs. Uh, anything stand out for you? I know the Blues are eliminated now, and that's our home team, obviously. But anything else stand out for you right now during the NHL playoffs? Uh, 
No, it's just uh, so good to just get sports back in general, and you could tell the the vibe. What what sport it is that you follow? Just to see whether it's basketball getting back in there, even watching some of the indie uh, race. But um, you know, for us locally here, obviously we want to. We, we've always wanted to see the, our Blues do well, but also locally, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Trent Frederick. So following what the Bruins have been able to do, and I know he's been at that secondary site, but uh, just watching the local guys do so well, and I, I, I love talking about. The, uh, the alumni here with the Blues and what they've done for St. Louis hockey and what a great job they've done and just continue to pass on that tradition and making this a hotbed for, for hockey, not just baseball, but uh, it's, a, it's a hockey hotbed for these young players coming up also. We're talking with former Cardinals catcher and manager Mike Matheny here on 101 ESPN. Mike, I spent the last year prior to coming back here to St. Louis working in Kansas City, so I was, I was working at 610 out there, the home of the Royals in KC and I was out there whenever they announced that you were going to be hired as the new manager for the Kansas City Royals and I listened to your introductory press conference out there and it, it I gotta be honest Mike it, it sounded like a different man it sounded like somebody who was refreshed from the time that you spent off and you had you had time to collect yourself what's changed for you your second time around on this job compared to where you were whenever you first got this job new as an up-and-comer back in 2012 here in St. Louis I think we're all called to to growth, or else we become stagnant. And uh, I just I want to be surrounded by people with a growth mindset to get better all the time. But you know, there, there's certainly things that I believe I'm, I'm more prepared for. Um, you know, there was really no um, instruction on on kind of how to handle being a manager, especially never managing before through the minor league system, but also just dealing with with some of the uh, the way that, that you represent the organization, whether it's through the media, uh, obviously through all the relationships. And, and to me, that's going to always evolve. And it was uh, drinking from a fire hose, especially when I came in after the uh, 2011 World Series with Tony La Russa and such a great team. Uh, there was a lot to take in. And I'll tell you, I, I came in um, certainly with this thought of I just don't want to get in the way of this continuing to be something great. And I went up uh, really with the mindset of just do no harm. And I think that it's a good thought philosophy in general, but it also I think you you almost are so defensive of, of doing anything wrong that you don't allow yourself the enjoyment of, one, the position, two, the privilege and, and opportunity to um, to use your personality in a way that, that helps make people better and also creates uh, a, a great representation of the organization. Mike, I, I wanted to kind of follow up on that because you mentioned the media obligations about the manager's job, and that's certainly something that is unique to managing in the big leagues because, you, I mean, you meet with the media like two, three times a day sometimes during the course of a season. There's also the difference of being here in St. Louis doing that versus being in Kansas City doing that. You know, I, I, I'm from KC. That's where I grew up, and I'm, I'm a Royals fan. But uh, let's be honest, St. Louis baseball, it's just it's a different thing here. So how has that been for you to maybe have a, a little bit of a difference in terms of the coverage that you're getting on a daily basis as well and being a little bit of a different type of pressure cooker than here? Well, you know, I, I love the, the pressure to win. I, I, I put that on myself and our team, uh, whether it's in Kansas City or St. Louis or wherever it would be, I, I would like to see the same thing if 
if I were in New York, you, know, you want that pressure because you're putting a higher expectation on yourself than, any, than anybody else could put on you. And if, and if you go about your business that way, you're not going to have any regrets. But there, there's definitely different environments. And, you know, what I, what I committed to do as soon as I was uh, given this job in KC is just to really just try and build relationships um, and, and try and make sure that I'm, I'm being an ambassador for the organization and, and trying to work well with uh, the media outlets because, hey, listen, it, it, it doesn't take long for us to, to, to forget what the lifeblood of our sport is. And just like it is with hockey and the others, it's our fans. The fans make this thing exceptionally impo- important and special. And the only way we can really translate some of the things in our ideas and our thoughts and, and answer questions is by using the, the conduit of our media outlet. So it's been a good, uh, it's, it's been a good transition so far. Um, you know, I've already had, um, two different Zoom calls this morning. I'll have two more this afternoon. I think that's part of our responsibility with the healing of you know, just just getting baseball back and getting sports back. Plus, we had some of those neg- labor negotiations going on. You know, we've got to go above and beyond to, to communicate extremely well and make sure that we're keeping our fans in mind and communicating with them through the media as often and as and, uh, as, as clearly as we possibly can. Mike, I couldn't imagine having retired from playing in the NHL and then going to coach like the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers, right? Like, I couldn't imagine with no experience per se at the the pro level doing that. And that's kind of what you did here in St. Louis is you came into the St. Louis Cardinals, which is the Toronto Maple Leafs of baseball. You know, how much did you learn on the fly? And at, at what point did you feel comfortable yeah, never, um, never did. But uh, you, you know, and and I love that being on edge all the time. And and it was kind of like Jim. You know how I, that's how I had to play. You know, people talk about I played like this was my last one. I felt like I was always going to get sniffed out. You know, and that I knew as soon as I slipped, there was going to be someone like Yadi Molina that was going to come in, and they're going to take that job and probably not give it back. And so I always went about my business as today might be my last one, and probably why I wasn't able to smile and laugh my way through my career and enjoyed as much as because I always felt like I was hanging on by a thread. But, you know, when, when I got this job, I was put in a, in a really uh, amazing spot, one with the support of Mr. Bill DeWitt and, and Mo taking a chance on offering this guy. I always say it was a lot like giving me that team after winning the 11 World Series with no experiences like giving the, the keys to a Ferrari to a 16-year-old. You know, it's just that uh, you never you never are I believe completely prepared, but what they did give me was a lot of support. Uh, you have players like uh, like a Chris Carpenter at the time, and a Matt Holiday, and a Yachty, and a Wayno. Um, you had that veteran leadership that knew how to win. You had uh, the guys that wanted to go about the business the right way, and an organization committed to doing things the right way. It was the the right the right grounds to to really give me a chance to to just continue to do what had been done and there wasn't any rewriting or reinventing the wheel it was let's let's take something really special and see how we can continue to make it move forward even though you're losing 
Tony LaRusso, one of the greatest managers of all time. Dave Duncan, one of the greatest pitching coaches. And then, by the way, Albert Pujols decided that uh, it was time to move on, too. So there was a lot of change, and I just really tipped my cap to the coaching staff as well as the players for uh, for jumping in and figuring out how to make it happen when it didn't seem like it was going to be an easy transition. Yeah, Mike, look, the one thing that as former players, when we get into a coaching job, the hardest part is being that coach, right? Because you know some of these guys and the relationships are already there, and then now you're the boss, and sometimes those are tough roads to navigate. How much of a challenge was that for you coming in as the former player and now having to be the big boss man? Yeah, it was it was certainly a challenge. You know, there were two players with Chris Carpenter and Yachty, and Yachty and I only played together for a little while. Uh, Carpenter and I went back to playing together in the Blue Jays um, early in, in our careers. And, you know, Chris, fortunately, uh, was a superstar, but the way that he led and the, the expectations he had, we were so similarly aligned um, that it was it was an easy conversation to have when he would see something, I would see something at the same time. And it was great having that voice inside the clubhouse of a guy who wanted to go about things the right way. And, and, and the same thing could be said of, of Yachty. And then, obviously, Wayno taking that torch from Chris Carpenter and then leading and doing it uh, – doing things the way that, that we believe it, it promotes winning baseball. And so it really made um, a lot of that transition easy because you had guys, regardless of what I was going to do, they were going to do the right thing. And we could have that that rapport and that that conversation maybe even easier uh, because we, we've been in those shoes before. We've had those tough conversations as teammates. Um, I thought it was going to be more friction. I thought it was going to be more awkward than it, than it actually was. It has everything to do with the kind of people I was dealing with. Final question for Mike Matheny, the former Cardinals catcher and manager, and now the manager for the Kansas City Royals in town to play against the Cardinals once again tonight. Uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you, you, you know, you've talked so much about the media training that you about the media training that you did, the analytics course that you took in the year off that you had in Kansas City while you were with their organization before becoming officially the manager. I wanted to ask you, was there, was there a conversation that you had with anybody or anything in particular where you, you maybe talked with somebody who had been in a, a similar spot to where you were at that point when, when you had been let go by the Cardinals where it really stuck out with you and you learned something from that particular conversation? Do you recall anything in that year off that really stands out that way? Yeah, I've got a, a small group of guys here in town, um, not sports people, but business guys who have been so successful and people that I have deep respect for. I, they're, uh, they're my mentors. I, I consider them my own personal board of advisors. And we just had some, some really raw conversations and trying to use some of the business vernacular that they were used to. And it just come, it came back to let's get some feedback from people inside the game, from other former managers, current managers, uh, people in, in, in front office spots. But let's just break down uh, what it is that we think that we can do better. And, and I mentioned this early on. I just believe in a mindset of how can I get better, not necessarily for me, but how can I do my job better for the people that are in, entrusted into my care. And then there was a, a list of things out there that, needed to be addressed and you, you hit on them um, how, how can i make sure analytically that i'm not missing the boat and so i just was a blank slate here 
and made some friends uh, with some people in the industry to hey, pick me down. Let me know, not from an organizational perspective, but from from in, from the industry's perspective. How how do I measure up? Where are some weaknesses? Where are my blind spots? And that blind spot's really that word that I, I kept coming back to. What am I not seeing? Because if I saw it and I didn't fix it, shame on me. And there was thousands of things that I saw from day one until my final day as, as manager here in St. Louis. Always things that I was changing, but when you have those spots that you don't necessarily know about, uh, you need people from the outside to help reveal them, and then we just start talking our way through, how can I get better at this? And if I am ever given that chance, which fortunately I was in Kansas City, hopefully I'll be able to make a bigger impact and, and help take this team to some places where they're wanting to go, which is back to championship like they had in 2015. Well, Mike, I know there's a lot of people here in St. Louis that are rooting for that to absolutely be the case, as long as it doesn't come against this Cardinals team. We certainly appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for uh, talking with us today, and uh, all the best to you and the team this year and moving forward. Stay, uh, stay healthy out there, Mike. Great talking to you, fellas. Take care. You got it. That's Mike Matheny joining us here on 101 ESPN. What a fascinating story that is from where he was at the end of his tenure here in St. Louis to where he is today in Kansas City. And listen, I, I like I said, I was in KC whenever he was announced as the manager, and I'm not going to lie. I was I was worried after what I had seen here in St. Louis. I was like, you know, I, there, were some, there was some stuff here that I, I wasn't super excited about him being the next manager in KC. And I listened to his opening presser, and I was like, okay, he's saying all of the right things. He did all the media training. He did the analytics course. He's saying he's learned from his time in, in St. Louis. Now, it, it remains to be seen. We'll see what it looks like a few years down the road and if this ultimately he did learn from his experience here. But he certainly sounds like a guy that learned a ton from his time here in St. Louis and how it ultimately came to an end. Listen, I don't even know how he did it. You know, I asked him the question, and he, he talks about – yeah. How he enjoyed the pressure and being on edge, and that's the athlete in him, 100%. I don't know how he did it. To step into the St. Louis Cardinals with no real experience, and you look at it and you go, no wonder the guy was on edge at times. No wonder maybe he was a little short with the media. Is it ultimately what you want? No, you don't want that because you want to have the Tony La Russa and all this. You're comparing him immediately to everybody else you've dealt with. It was a tough situation no matter what for Mike Matheny. And then when he started to get scrutinized, well, do you think he really wanted to talk to everybody that was lambasting him on a daily basis? Probably not. I know it's his responsibility, but let's look at the human side of this, too. That was his first job. Like he said, getting the keys to a Ferrari at 16. And what it's a great, a great line. It's a great line. So, look, I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, He is a great guy. He has a great family. He, they look at life the right way. And I hope he does a heck of a job in Kansas City, just not against the Cardinals. Absolutely. We certainly hope that the Cardinals are able to take down once again tonight. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of that conversation, 101ESPN.com is where you can find the podcast. Craig Button told us last time you would compare Alex Petrangelo to a Nick Lidstrom. What does he think about the Blues' ability to re-sign the captain? We'll talk with Craig Button of TSN coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very excited about our next guest out on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. He is Craig Button. He's an NHL analyst for TSN. We apologize for getting to him a little later than anticipated. Our interview with Mike Matheny went a little bit long there, but thrilled to have him nonetheless. Craig, we always appreciate the time. And last time we had you on, you compared the future of Alex Petrangelo to Nick Lidstrom. Let's start there with Petro. At this point, with where we are today, what are you anticipating his market's going to look like, and how difficult is it going to be for the Blues to retain their captain this offseason? Well, I guess what I would answer to that is, I mean, when you have a key player in your lineup and you have a, you know, somebody that I think has got lots of really top-end years left in his play, I mean, I don't know why you don't find a way to get things done. Like, to me, everything else is, is, is window dressing. You don't have that defenseman. Good luck. Good luck to you. Listen, I really think that one of the big challenges for the uh, St. Louis Blues, and, you know, we we lived it in 2000 in Dallas, and and Doug Armstrong was there. Our defense in 1999 when we won the Stanley Cup, we had Sean Chambers and Craig Ludwig as our bottom pair defensemen, and they really gave us a a real good look on our blue line. You know, we had Hatcher and Matt Fitchuk, and then we had Zuboff and Sador, and, and, and our balance was really, we could play it any way you wanted against any team. You know, Bloomister with his heart issue, Joel Edmondson leaving. You know, you replace them with players, but 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 it changes the way you want to play, the length of those players, the way they take up space. You know, we replaced uh, Chambers and Ludwig with Dave Manson and, and Sylvain Cote. Good players, but it changed the look of our team, and we ended up losing the Stanley Cup the next year in the final. So when I look at Alex Petrangelo, like if you if, if you want to let him go and you want to justify letting him go, or and and, and maybe Alex is asking for so much money that you got to let him go, but. You know what? That'll be a massive hole in the Blues lineup if they don't find a way to get him done. Now, I know there's two sides to it, and I'm not suggesting that it's all one-sided, but, you know, the the, the market with the cap not going up and uh, understanding that, but, you, you know, there's teams with cap space, and there's certainly competitive teams with cap space that I'm sure would love to have Alex Petrangelo. Well, first of all, Craig, I remember those Dallas teams, and I still have nightmares about playing against those guys, specifically Zubov. I don't know if he could, if he gave me one more look off. I, I don't know what would happen. Thank God there were boards where I would have ended up in the Mississippi. Hey, Jamie, he gave everybody the look off, and it was amazing, too. You know, I got to tell you, the, one of my favorite stories with, with, with Sergey was Mike Madonna. We're, we're playing an exhibition game, and it's, it's later in the exhibition season, and, and Mike says, I'm, I'm breezing through the middle of the ice, kind of like giving it the old, yeah, you know what, it's like I'm going there. I know the defenseman's not going to give me the puck. And he goes, Zuby's got it, and he goes, all of a sudden, it goes clap, clap right off his blade. He goes, holy jeez. He goes, that's unbelievable. He said, I never missed a pass from Zuby again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was incredible. But yeah, that was yeah, he was. That was a great team. And yeah, you had a lot of the elements. It actually reminds me a lot of the St. Louis Blues. And yep. when you look at here's the point I tried to talk about with my guys here in studio on one of the breaks. I said, what would Doug Armstrong offer in a trade? to get an Alex Petrangelo at this stage of his career with all the accolades that he has. And because we always automatically bring up, well, this player, this player, this player, you'd have to trade them or buy them out or make this move. But when we look at those players, I think any GM would take those players and make that trade to acquire an Alex Petrangelo from another team. Do you think that that's a good way for Doug Armstrong to look at it? 
Yeah, I do. I think that I think you got to factor that in in terms of if you didn't have them, what would it take to acquire them? You, you know, there's also the dollar factor too. And you know what you what, what you got to also assess is where, where Alex is at in his career. And you know, when when we talked a, a little while back, and I, and I feel that Alex, you know, the way he plays the game, how efficient he is playing the game, you know, physically he's healthy, and and I see lots of good years ahead of him. Now, maybe maybe it is about term. Maybe Doug says, hey, listen, I'm prepared to pay you for five years, but I'm not going to give you eight. And maybe Alex wants eight, you know. So, you know, that's where you get into the negotiation, try to understand. And, and, and I, I think you, you, you look at it that way. But, again, you know, you assess where the player's at. And, and you assess, you know, what this means going forward and what the contract's going to do, what it's going to do with respect to other players. You know, you know I think Doug, when he traded, I don't think, when he traded for Justin Falk, got him signed. You know, there, there was almost an indication at that point in time, hmm, I wonder about where this is with Petrangelo. He gets Scandella, signs him long-term, right? You know, Pareko's on a, on, on, on a longer-term contract. So, you know, you start to look at, and, and maybe Doug is simply saying, I, I can't afford him, I can't, I can't meet his term, I can't meet his dollars, but it'll still be a hole in their lineup. And, you know, like you, you can put different players into a spot or bring another player in and put them in a uniform. You're not getting Alex Petrangelo. And, you know, I, I, like I look back and, you know, Kenny Holland always used to joke about it in Detroit. He goes, I'm retiring when Nick Lichstrom retires. So, you know, the Red Wings, you know, after Nick retired, they put some other players on the blue line. They never were the same blue line. Now, Craig, how significant is it right now? Actually, you know what? We should, what, I guess we'll take a step back here and go to our listeners in particular. And in all your years of experience as a GM and scout and now an analyst up with TSN, it's not often you get a right-handed defenseman who just won the Stanley Cup coming off a career high in goals with all the accolades that he has in behind him right now. Those guys don't usually come up for free agency. So Doug Armstrong, I mean, he's got a whole other ball of wax that he's going to try and deal with here, right? He does. And, I, and, and, and so does Alex, though. And, and again, like, I mean, you, you look at the salary cap. We know the salary cap's not going to go up for a year, two years, and so you got to manage it within that. But, you know, you, you know how you get Alex Petrangelo? Pick fourth overall. That's how, you, that's how you get guys like Alex Petrangelo because, for the most part, you don't find those guys deeper in the draft because they're so good that, and that they're going to go early in the draft. And, you know, uh, like now you have this homegrown player, you have this player, and again, like like I go back to myself, another player that looked like he may be slowing down or, you know, maybe having some injuries, not as quick, is absorbing more hits. I would say, okay, maybe you might have to consider this, but I don't see that with Alex. I, I see a defenseman that's one of the one of the really good defensemen in the National Hockey League. And when I say really good, I'm talking top 10, 12 defensemen in the league, and I don't know where you find those guys. You know, so there's 32 teams coming up, and there's 10, 12 top defensemen in the league. Okay, you 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 can go and fill out your team with another defenseman, and you can project other players perhaps to go in there and play those roles. But for me, Alex Petrangelo's are rare, and you know we we talked we talked at the top of this about Sergey Zuboff. Just look at how old Zuboff was when he retired. Yeah, good point. I mean, that guy was still he was still the dish and magician even at the end. 
Well, that's in that mind. You talked about, Jamie, you talked about how we used to look people off and how we used to put people in, in the positions that created opportunities for your team. I, I think Alex has that has that, that sense and that brain that, that allows him to play so efficiently that doesn't allow him to get hit, and he can play the, the important minutes. I just that, That's my projection on him. You know, like, I just think that, you know, when you can look at it and say, okay, well, Scandala got his money and Falk got his money, well, why don't you just combine the money of those two guys and just give it to Alex and, you know, find somebody at a million? We're talking to Craig Budden. He's an NHL analyst for TSN joining us here on 101 ESPN. So let's say that they are able to get this done, Craig. Let's let's say that the, the Blues find a way to bring back Alex Petrangelo and they find something that is palatable to both sides. Then what do you do? Like, if, if I put you in Doug Armstrong's shoes, what are the next moves that you would look to be made? Because at that point, they've they've got to kind of figure out what to do with the cap situation to be able to make it work from that perspective as well. Well, I, I, I think that it's, for me, you know, you got players under contract, right? And so you have, you know, you, you have Marco Scandella under contract, you have Justin Falk under contract, and... You know, maybe those become safety nets in case you can have Alex Petrangelo. But to me, I just don't see any way you couldn't trade those players and to, to free up some cap space. Now, those aren't the only two players you could look at, but you're going to have to create opportunities uh, on your cap by trading players. And, and, and you know, there, there's players that you go, okay, we really need this player. We really feel this player is important to us. And then there's other the, the next group of players that you go, yeah, we'd like to have him, and he's a luxury, but we can't afford him. And, and those are the ones you got to really look at, you know, trying to make an exchange at. Now, whether that's trading for a draft pick or a young prospect or, or whatever, or, or however you're trying to look at it, that's where you got to go and evaluate your team. And, you, you know, there's just, in, in a cap world, there's only so much dollars you have. So you have to take those cap dollars and allocate them. You know, I'm going to allocate them. You know, you you got to draft well. You got to develop well to get you know young players in the group. You look at Robert Thomas. You know, he's a good player. He's going to be on an entry level contract. He's going to be on a on a, on, a, on a bridge contract, whatever that looks like. I, I don't call a bridge contract just a two year. It might be a four year deal. Who knows? But you know, Tarasenko's on a good contract, and you know when he signed his contract, well, maybe there was. Now he's got to be healthy, but that's a good contract. Pareko's a good contract. O'Reilly's a good contract. So you know, you look at your your, your top players; they're on good contracts. Like so, you're, but you're going to have to. Some players like are, are, are going to have to move out, and that's just the way it's going to have to be in, in a cap world. Do you think there is value for a Justin Falk on the trade market after having signed that seven-year, forty-five million-dollar contract last year? You, th- you think there's other teams that would maybe take that on? Uh, yeah, I do. And but I mean, what is it going to take for them to to absorb that contract? Like you know, you might have to take back a contract, maybe not to the same level. You might have to give a prospect for them to take on that contract. But those are the types of decisions you're going to have to make. But you know, with with movement being what it is, I mean, there's talk now about Oliver Ekman Larson being available out of Arizona. I mean, he's at eight million. He signed a long term deal at eight million for eight for just I think it was eight million for eight years or maybe eight point two five, but. You know, if he's available, so now, so now you're looking and you're going, well, geez, I have, uh, I could get Petrangelo in free agency. I might be able to trade for Oliver Ekman Larson. You know, now those teams that don't get those players, you know, that's where the next tier of defensemen come into play. And you know, I think Justin Falk is a solid NHL defenseman. Do I think he's a number one? No, but 
I think that where he's at in his age group and, you know, that there would be definitely teams that are looking to try to bolster their lineup. I mean, Dougie Hamilton's a free agent. Like, he's another player that comes into the into the mix uh, of defensemen that, you, you know, are really good defensemen. But there's going to be teams that aren't going to get those guys. So that's where the next category of, of uh, player comes into play for Doug Armstrong. So, Craig, as I look at this here and we talk about Justin Falk and we talk about Alex Petrangelo and moving in a direction for the St. Louis Blues, how important do you feel it is for, for Doug Armstrong in particular, for a lot of GMs, but let's isolate Army here for a second. How important is it to for him to get to the expansion draft and be able to keep a team that's just under the cap and get to the expansion draft, and now maybe that comes into play on how you work this situation out? So we're one year removed from the planned expansion draft, right? Yeah. So that's supposed to be next June. I mean, I guess that can be flexible and everything. I, I will tell you this about Doug and having worked with him in, uh, in Dallas, and we went through a number of expansions. Doug's real shrewd. Doug, Doug understands the rules very, very well. And he's very, very shrewd with respect to being able to try to make sure that he can uh, not only not only keep his team intact and understand what, 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 what you have to do with, with respect to the expansion rules, he, he knows how to operate within that. And by that, what I mean, I'm not just talking about, you know, moving a player here or there. It's about understanding, okay, what a team could really want. He, you know, the communication is so important with managers. Doug does that. But he's been through all the expansions. He's been through them all. <laughs> so, you know, from, from, you know, when our team in Minnesota got split up and part of it went to San Jose, to the Tampa Bay, Ottawa, to, all the way through Florida, Anaheim, the four expansion teams that came through in up to 2000. And then the last one, Doug's right on top of that. He knows the history and he's shrewd. So I, I, I would think that the St. Louis Blues have one of the one of the very best people running their team with all the background and all the history on, on those expansions. He's Craig Button. You can find his work over on TSN. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Button. Craig, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We look forward to talking with you again soon on what is certainly going to be an eventful uh, offseason for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, it will be. It'll be a little bit nail biting too there in St. Louis for Blues fans too. So, but that's that's uh, that's the beauty of sports. So, you guys have a great day. I always love chatting with you. Absolutely, you're the best. That's Craig Button joining us here on 101 ESPN. This is so fascinating, man. Like the 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 different possibilities that could happen this off season with the St. Louis Blues and everything that Army has to have on the back of his mind. Like, it's not just. It's not a unilateral decision, right? It's not Alex Petrangelo or uh, this defenseman. It's Alex Petrangelo or we have to move that out for these two pieces. And then that means that next offseason it allows us to do this. And oh, by the way, in the back of my mind, I've got to keep into consideration Robert Thomas. we got to get him renewed of, in a mm-hmm. couple of years. We've got to be thinking at all times about what we're going to do for the expansion draft. What other moves are there out there that could be advantageous for us? Maybe we trade a veteran for a prospect. Oh, we've got these prospects that are coming through the system. There's so many different things that are at work at all times for uh, for Army right now. He's got to have all of this at the top of the mind with everything coming back to, what do I do with Petra? That's the first domino for all of it. Yeah, and I think what's being overlooked here, too, and I'm guilty of it as well, we've talked about it a little bit, but probably not enough, is the prospects that they have coming in on defense. 
And Craig Button just brought up a good point. And I, you know, I'd not even thought about a Scandella move. I don't I, look at everybody thinks he's done a great job. He's fit in perfect. He's a great guy. He's a team guy. All these things. But if you're going to move in that direction, you've got two left-handed D that are in your system right now. Perunovic, which is he's projected to be a blue chip player. Like he, this guy is going to be a stud by all accounts, according to scouts and, and people in the industry. Mikola, he's a big body. Is he a good left defenseman for Colton Pareko? Do you have twin towers again? Can he get to that point? I think that this is where we forget sometimes that the Blues do have some riches in youth, and those contracts are a lot cheaper than what you currently have. Better than Scandella, you honestly could look at a Justin Falk trade in the offseason. I mean, before he was traded from Carolina, there were five or six other teams that were interested. Anaheim almost made the deal for Justin Falk. It was just they couldn't come to terms on the player they wanted to trade away. Well, and the term and his contract. He did, He's locked up he got, for 6.5. He got more money here in St. Louis than he was going to get in Anaheim. Yeah. And to Craig Button's point, too, which I think we have to highlight here as well, is yeah, you're probably not trading Justin Falk one for one in a deal. You're probably including a good draft pick. A sweetener. Pro- yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we know that maybe at this point, because Justin Falk's contract could be a gold mine three years down the road if he's playing spectacular. If we get the Justin Falk that we saw in the playoffs this year, the spurts of how good he can be, that could be an amazing contract for the St. Louis Blues down the road or another team. But if you're going to make a move, maybe you throw in a prospect of some kind. Maybe maybe Cairo, maybe Costin, maybe Mikola. Maybe Jake may- Allen. Maybe Jake Allen, right? But the point is, maybe a draft pick. Army doesn't like throwing away the draft Especially picks. Especially because you've given up so many over the last few years. Yeah, he's got to restock the cupboards because, as we know, some of the guys, every year that goes by, they get a little bit older. But it just was an. In- it was great to hear somebody else's perspective from the outside. Him and Darren Drager, fantastic job of giving us that national perspective on where the Blues sit. So a lot of interesting things. I also find it very interesting that Craig Button said this. We heard it from Darren Drager. We heard it from Emily Kaplan. Jamie, I think you've mentioned this a few times. I'm going to include you on the ilk of all of those people. Thank you very much. Everybody has said five years. Maybe it's five years, and they just kind of throw it in there. Hey, maybe maybe from the Blues it's five years, and maybe from other teams it's going to be eight, and, and maybe that's going to be something that comes into the conversation here. It doesn't feel to me like that's by accident. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it doesn't feel to me like that's an accident that people keep mentioning, hey, keep in mind the term. And keep in mind specifically five years on that term. I wonder if that's something that ultimately is going to be a big part of the decision for Petro as well. Well, it will for sure. And, you know, five years takes him to 35. And if he's still clipping at a good pace, then you can always re-up him. The last year of his contract going into the fifth year, if the St. Louis Blues are still so impressed with what he's doing, they can extend him. They can give him another two years on that, another three years at that. And you never know, those discussions do happen too. With guys like Petro, who don't come around very often, the agents have that talk. Hey, we'll do you a solid here, five-year deal. But if he's doing well, the numbers match up, and he's still in the top quarter of the league as far as defensemen go, we need to revisit this in year four of his contract. If the Blues re-sign Alex Petrangelo, they're re-signing him to the extent of however long you play, you're going to be with the Blues. It has to be. That's pretty much what they're doing. It has to be. And one final thought on this. 
That I, the five years, yes, I do believe that's the sweet spot. I think you can get to six or seven if Petro's willing to wiggle more than we thought on the finances. It's it's the sliding scale. Yep. It's always that on these contracts. It's, hey, if you want to go shorter, that's fine. We'll take a higher AAV, which is average annual value, the the salary per year. We'll take that, but you got to bump up the cash. If we're going to take a if, – if Army says, I'm willing to give you the longer term, the years – then you're going to have to give up some of the AAV, the annual cash. And it's a sliding scale to find that happy medium between the two to see where ultimately they end up. In Doug Armstrong's own words, usually the sign of a good deal is where both sides feel a little uncomfortable. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm always a little uncomfortable as we dive into the junk drawer, and that's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. To open up the junk drawer with ribs and BK. Brought to you by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go, Blues. I wish our audience could hear the commercial breaks. I know you guys hear the commercials. Be fired. Boy. You hear the commercial breaks. They are they are quite entertaining. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. Been a great show, boys. Thanks to BK and the boys. Wow. Thank you, Kara, for listening. Thank BK you, and the boys. I don't like that name. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate you. Uh, so let's dive into the junk drawer. Yes. Jamie, I would love to get us started today. Oh, well, please do. So last night... I'm, I'm, I want to put this out on the front end as a disclaimer. This oh. is not a political statement in any way, shape, or form. Uh-oh. Oh, here we go. Oh, boy. Oh, Cue the text line. Don't do it, BK. So the RNC is taking place right now. pathetic loser. Republican National Com- Convention. Yeah, thanks. I didn't know what that meant. For any of our listeners that maybe aren't aware of what's going on right now, it's perfectly fine. I understand. Um, so there's a lot of speeches that are taking place at this thing, right? There was one in particular that absolutely stole the show. I mean, Winston Churchill, um, whatever your favorite speech is ever in the history of speeches, this is going to go right down with it. Would you like to take a listen, Jamie? Well, now I have to. Well, let's take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Dang. Yes! I was, hope she's right. That was a hype man if I've ever heard a hype man. I mean, it's that speech in Jamie Rivers' pep talk on this show. <laughs> Mike Schilt in the locker room. Is yet to come. This is what I tell Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario before every show yeah, that we do here on this station. And we're still waiting. Nope, we're not going to hear it. One more time. I'm stupid. You're oh. smart. <laughs> I was wrong. You were right. It's not what I was pointing. You're the best. Oh, the worst. Sorry, our mistake. Oh my! Oh, oh, sorry. This is what I was referencing. This is what I say to Jamie and Ferrario before every show. No, no. Okay, never no. mind. Exactly. Now the best is yet to come. All right, I've got a question for you guys. Okay, because there's a couple of things that have happened in my life in the last couple of days. That I'm just questioning things in general. Oh, should we? Uh... Yeah. So, listen, have, have either of you ever clipped your dog's nails? 
I did early on when we had, I have a little eight pound dog. Her name is Belle. And we did that early on. And now I do not. I have two of them. One is a five pounder that allows you to do pretty much anything you need grooming wise. And then the 70 pounder who, if you look at his paws, he will probably bite your arm off. Okay. So here's where I'm at is ordinarily at the river's house, we have two Akitas, which they're like huskies on steroids, basically. And the poop of those dogs are the size of BK's dogs. The loaf of bread. Yeah, remember? Sure. Yes. And so the puppy, who is kind of a star in his own right um, since joining the Rivers family, for some reason his nails were growing a little bit quicker, a little bit longer. And I was like, okay, time to clip them. So for the first paw, he's great. We're fine. Second paw, he's getting squirmy. So I talked to my youngest, say, hey, go get a little spoonful of peanut butter. Have him like messing with this while I clip the rest of his nails. Yeah, no. Halfway through the one nail, the dew claw in his right front paw, he decides to give like the shoulder turn. Like he's rolling out <laughs> of the submission. Give me a quick like I'm out of the chokehold type thing. <laughs> and so immediately I clip a little too much. Cue the bleeding. Oh, no. Guys, have you ever done that? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't stop. Okay, I it panic. Doesn't, doesn't stop. And I didn't have, like, the quick stop, that little stuff they put on to stop the bleeding. So I'm chasing this dog around, trying to hold his paw with paper towel. He's, like, front flipping because I'm <laughs> controlling his right Why paw. Why is this not being videotaped in your household? Dude, and then there was blood everywhere. It looked like a murder scene. I'm like, my wife is going to wake up right now and think I've killed this dog. <laughs> I honestly, I've never seen that much blood from a nail before. It's brutal, man. And trying to find a way to get that done, I just, I punted on it. I was like, I'm, she goes to the groomer. She's a hypoallergenic dog, so she doesn't shed. So we have to get her groomed anyways. I just, I'll pay the extra seven bucks every whatever. That and brushing the teeth. My wife does a great job of brushing their teeth. They allow her to because the stuff tastes good. But in terms of clipping the toenails and like cleaning out the ears, We've punted on that and said, send them to the groomer once a month. Have them deal with it because yeah, we can. it's a pain in the butt. Like, for me to get the dogs to the groomers, or it's a little out of the way. Now, they do a fantastic job. Amazing. Been going for 15 years. I just thought I could handle it, boys. Yeah. Apparently, I can't. You learned your lesson. Not up not up to the challenge on no, this one. Learned no, your lesson. Rivers Grooming is now out of business. Hey, Spe- Jamie. Jamie. The best is yet to come. I hope so. Speaking of the uh, the brushing of the teeth, Ferrario. Oh, so we. I try to do my best of brushing Bell's teeth. Apparently, I didn't say your own. I was going to say, well, you're supposed to, right? Why Why you know, okay, we'll put a star on the calendar for you. <laughs> I uh, I try to do my best with it. Apparently, I don't get far enough back on her molar sometimes. I knew this the last time that I took her to the groomer, that there was some plaque that was building up on her back teeth. Well, what I learned last time that I took her to the vet was there is now a crack in that tooth, in the back tooth. And they're thinking that they might have to pull it. No bueno. Do you guys know how much something like that costs? Yes. Yeah. It's Anything to ridiculous. do with a dog that is outside the box. Might as well buy another engagement. My ring. my dog yes. had to have teeth pulled because her teeth just the, the tar buildup was horrible because Shih Tzus do that. Yes. Whoa. And yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to curse there. Six teeth pulled. Pretty much bankrupted me. So we're so what are you it's feeding her baby one food now? No. Do you chew the food for her no, first, like a bird? She doesn't eat anymore. <laughs> She's not allowed to eat in her house. She's got an IV. Yeah, it's just water. Final thing that I wanted to get to. So 
Jamie, I know you and Ferrario, you're both, uh, you partake in the coffee in the morning. Yes. I, know I don't know it. how much you're into the pumpkin spiced drinks. I like coffee. Yeah, disgusting. I'm with you. I'm typically a cold brew type of a guy, but just the cold brew. Just Hot. give me the cold. Coffee. Normal. Perfect. You're fine. Oh, coffee for, yeah, cold. You're good. Go. So I typically just go cold brew. If I were a pumpkin spiced guy, though, I would probably want that in like, I don't know, October, November, in the you know, fall. when it gets a little cooler. Did you know it. that today is the debut of the pumpkin spice lattes and the pumpkin cream cold brews out at Starbucks? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do we need this in August? Go walk okay, well, into a Walmart BK, and look at the see, Halloween. This is how it works, okay, is you set up a promotion, right? And you want to maximize that promotion for your company. You don't just drop it in the fall. That way you're just minimizing the revenue you can get on. So this is a bit of a head start. Are so, there people out there that are drinking these right hang now? Hang on. This is where I'm headed. So if a guy like you rolls in in August and buys a pumpkin coffee. I wouldn't, And though. you like it, though. But if you did, and you like it, now I've got you for a little bit of August, all of September, and maybe October, instead of just October. Go walk into a Walmart right now. There's there's Halloween decorations and Halloween oh, candy everywhere. Christmas stuff. Up. Don't get me started on the Halloween decorations. Okay, speaking of Halloween, real quick, one last thing, and this is just your take on this, okay? Is at Halloween, I like to have a couple of cold beverages and Halloween? enjoy the evening. Yeah. What do you mean? Like it's, it's a limited to Halloween day, you need one. Okay, I'm trying to sell it as I'm not drinking every night. But anyways, <laughs> beer, okay? Beer. You're a beer Big guy. Fan. Alex, I know you like the good cold beer. I like beer. Just beer. You like cold seltzer. Ways. Yeah. Okay, Budweiser Zero, okay? And other beers that have zero alcohol in them at all. Yeah, the N.A. Are you in or are you out on that? Those are disgusting. I mean, I, I think it's great for somebody that wants to be able I to understand. drink beer but has a little bit of a problem. Okay. Me personally, no, I don't drink them. Okay, but if you drink beer, like I understand liking the taste of beer, but if I'm not getting the buzz with my beer, I just, I'm not going to purposely just go drink beer. It's the same as they do like Pepsi Zero when they take the sugar out of it. Well, that's different. You're, no, still you're drinking, drinking the Pepsi. Different. Yeah, no but if you're drinking involved. the soda, you're drinking Alex, it for the that soda. that was a bad one. No, it's not. You're time out. You're not. This would be like if no. you had tequila with zero alcohol. Exactly. No. Yes. You're <laughs> in a timeout. No. Maybe you can have a like, real beer right if now. If you're a smoker and you've got a cigarette that doesn't actually give you any of the feel good it that you get from light. the cigarettes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay. What's, what's the point of smoking no. at that point? Now no. you're just putting something to your mouth. Now you right? two are just insane. Whoa. Now you and two are just <laughs> insane. So overall, are you drinking a beer that has no alcohol just because you love the taste of beer? I'm not, but I'm glad that something like that exists. Oh, jeez. Oh, Stop be riding the fence, BK. What? I'm being serious. I like no. I'm to, to answer your question for me Just personally. No, don't I'm not going to drink the, the NA flippy beer. floppy on the fence thing here. Yeah. We're not on the beach. Put your beer is good, away. but it doesn't taste that good to not give me a buzz. Bottom line, you sound like oh, I'm cutting that alcohol. That that was such a uh, an alcoholic statement. Just the text line. Somebody else actually <laughs> makes a really good point. Six five seven eight zero. Air comfort service text line. Worst invention: in a beer or decaf coffee. And I'm with you. I, I, what I said. Decaf coffee sugar. also confuses me. What's the point? To pandemic. Do you remember we came in here every day? I'd go and make <laughs> yeah. a coffee. It was about three weeks into it. I finally read the packaging. I was drinking decaf, and I was crushing like two or three coffees to show, and I'm like, gosh, I Not just can't get the engine going. <laughs> it over with the fast lane next we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn
with former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to cross things over with the Fast Lane BT in studio. What's going on, man? Not much, fellas. Hey, uh, Mike Matheny, fantastic with you guys today. Opening up a little bit. It was awesome. I like it. Really enjoyed that talk with him. Mike's a heck of a guy. He's good people, man. He really man. is. It just he he said it best. We talked about it in the break. It just he's thrown into a really important position really fast, and he had no runway before that to, of experience. So it's tough. And it looks like he's dealing with it a lot better now. Well, a whole different world he's thrown into, also, right? Like that's the different thing. Like how do you evaluate success at this point? The Royals, while yeah, I get it. There are probably three and a half games now out of a wild card. Chances are, I mean, that's not what's in their their future for this year so how do your young players get better how do you handle them because the young guys are going to go through some ups and downs you know mike was a guy here that would lean on his veterans a little bit more harder on the young guys do you from every single job and whatever job that we've had throughout the years don't you learn something oh, every God, step yeah. along the way and shame on you if you don't mike's the same thing yeah even as former players when you get traded or you get waived or you get bought out or whatever it is Shut down to memphis yeah <laughs> above for some of us um you learn from it, and you say, okay, well, this is where I wasn't good. This is where I get better, and I need to get better here, and I won't do this next time. So I guess now the true test of what Mike Matheny can do, I think, will be now and moving forward because if he didn't learn from mistakes and he repeats the same behavior or the same thing, then people are going to be like, okay, this is the scouting report yeah. on this guy. He sounds a little different, too. He doesn't sound like the Dark Knight right now. He doesn't, <laughs> and Dark Knight pitching tonight, Matt Harvey. But he doesn't sound like... He really sounded like he was trying to do the Batman all the time. He just sounded so worn down by the end. Where it was like, oh, I'm just... Rude. I'm exhausted. I can't just do this hated anymore. every question that came his way. Like He just took every one of them as like it was a jab and it was just a question. <laughs> and the other thing that's really like a huge difference between here versus Kansas City. I lived there. I'm from there. I'm a Royals fan, right? That's where I grew up. Thanks, Kansas City. But <laughs> the, the scrutiny is a little different in Kansas City than you it mean, is here. You mean they're not breaking down what that, happened in the bullpen last night? The they're, vast majority of my audience, whenever I was doing radio out there, had no idea how to conduct a double switch. Okay. Meanwhile, here, the way that he managed the double switch was a huge issue. You, you know what, though? You switch out three, four, five one time. You do it one time in a game, and all of a sudden, it gets brought up over and over again. Yeah. I don't even know what you guys are talking once. about right now. Yeah, he switched out his three, You are our audience in Kansas City. BT is the audience here in St. Louis, and it's massively different. Just coming up in the game. Like, Who are these guys hitting there? What the hell? What How did they get there? You did it? He did it. Yeah. So, did you learn? You live and you learn, and I'm I root for him. He, he, he seriously, he's a good human being. He's a really good leader of men, and it's a great opportunity for him. And he's got the great hair. Is yet to come. Did you see that last Who night? Was that? It was one of the RNC speeches last night, and it was incredible. I don't watch too much politics. No, we're already RNC, getting heat for TNC, it on here. CNN, I told CNN, TNT. <laughs> TNT, TNT, Nashville, of old school. Is that, is that still around? That's a thing. TNT knows drama. <laughs> we're, we're, we're already getting it on we're here. I told you men. this would happen, what BK. We're getting texters that said, please don't play any political speeches. That's not about the political affiliation. I just thought it was hilarious. I warned you, though. It was it was a funny moment. I'm pulling funny moments from everything. Charles Barkley said something funny over the weekend. I'm pulling his comments. You know what, Riz? The best is yet to come. I 
just know this is on BK and Ribs. The fast lane probably won't be playing this drop. There will be no point. Wait a minute. That's not true. We don't do politics. The fast lane's political. I don't do politics. At the very least. Funny finds itself everywhere. And that includes in politics, B2. You can find stuff. I mean, here's the thing that's quite morbid, I guess, with with me. But I can find pretty much any situation a little bit funny. So how about this one? Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Test it. What do you got? Uh Residents in Detroit are left with more questions than answers after a 20-year-old woman was believed to have been dead and was then found mm. breathing at a funeral home. Oh, my God. It's a miracle. I feel you. It's a miracle. I feel you, girl. It's a miracle. You. We all die we a little inside. inside. Yeah. The paramedics found her and tried to resuscitate her for 30 minutes. Did they try Sim- mouth to mouth? I think Ooh. that's what CPR includes. Uh, Even COVID? I don't, I don't know what happened here. Look, I, the chances are they mailed it in a little bit. <laughs> They're thinking, they give it all. I've I've seen dead people. Yeah. That's a dead person. I'm drugs? not going to deal with this. They is there drugs? Sim- we don't know. There's this is a developing <laughs> like story. So, like holy they hell, probably just did the uh, the pounding and a couple of times on the chest, and then they're like, nope, not we're done. BC was coming from the best pounding. Now, man. Nothing, nothing this good. I'll tell you that. That's I wish I'd have found that story a little bit earlier. Maybe we'll <laughs> dig more into how that person's alive. Uh, we'll dig into the Cardinals. Goldschmidt, man, he looks like the guy that we've seen his entire career. That's good news. We'll break down the Blues. Probably talk about some stuff you haven't. We're the hockey experts on this station so uh, we'll break down some stuff there as well we're gonna have some fun today that's coming up from two to six for jamie rivers and alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley we'll be back tomorrow at 11 talk to you then on 101 espn you have been listening to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn